Transport yourself back in time and explore the fascinating and harrowing story of the Titanic's maiden voyage. Now open at COSI. Don't miss Titanic, the Artifact Exhibition. This epic exhibit features over 200 authentic artifacts recovered from the ocean floor. Discover poignant passenger and crew accounts and majestic recreated interiors, including the iconic Titanic Grand Staircase. Tickets for Titanic, the Artifact Exhibition are on sale now. Book your voyage at COSI.org. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, Night Nation. Proud to let you know that the Sons of UCF podcast is presented by the law firm of Gordon and Partners. Since 1993, Gordon and Partners have been dedicated to the pursuit of justice for those who have been wrongfully injured at no fault of their own. It's important that you get legal advice from somebody you trust. So contact UCF alum Michael Hoffman directly if you have any legal needs or questions. Visit their website at www.fortheinjured.com or text 407-913-5350 to speak directly to Michael. Don't trust just anybody. Trust the best and trust a fellow knight. Gordon and Partners for the Injured. This is the Sons of UCF. The number one place for UCF sports with your distinguished host, Adam. Let's all get together and see who can solve the wordle the fastest. And Mike. You know, last year I think I said about 30 people in the UCF, tons of UCF group. Let's try to double that. Let's try to get 50. Now, here are the guys. All right, buckle up, my friends. Episode number 181 of the Sons of UCF is back at you. My name is Adam, and as always, my friend and yours, Mr. UCF Mike. Another week for you, Mike. Welcome back. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. You kicked me off the show yet. Yeah, even though I, I saw there was another show there last night, you guys did a whole show without me. I, um, I don't know. You were I invited. I, I heard you were yeah. a maybe, and then I was like, is Mike coming? And he was like, I don't know. <laughs> and then we were like, maybe we'll just pop in, and you, you never actually showed up. So I don't know what happened there. No, no. I, yeah, I got the uh, rundown from Trace Sunday morning. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to make it by that time, eight o'clock Sunday night, I'm in the bag, but you know, I had a, a full day yesterday. I had a bunch of people over, we were watching the hockey game, a bunch of beers. Oh, I was done for, I, I tuned in for a few minutes and made a couple of slide remarks on the, uh, in the comment section, but then there was no way I could have done the actual show. Okay, well, maybe we, we, we could have used you <laughs> for a while that we were uh, we were drowning. But uh, but anyway, well, so you can catch that on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to all that stuff, by the way. Uh, Sons UCF YouTube, uh, twonightsmedia.com. You can catch up all of our content. Follow us on social media at Sons UCF, anywhere you do social media stuff. Mike is at UCF Mike one Trace is at SignPez. You can find all of our stuff there, Mike, and uh, and that stuff this week included uh, some some good stuff with the softball program. Uh, uh, historic weekend out at the Plex. Um, you know, I know for a lot of people, this is probably the first time they had a chance to really kind of dig in and watch the, the softball team come together, Mike. But uh, I know you didn't get a chance to catch much of it live as you were bouncing around with some family stuff. But just overall, I mean, we were excited we were going to host a regional. Then we, you know, we get there and you win the first one against Villanova. We're in the winner's bracket. You're feeling good. 
And then the, the, the game against Michigan on Saturday, uh, Matty Bejarano uh, twice comes up, uh, once to tie the game and then once to win the game in, uh, in, in the 11th inning, which is extra innings, obviously, for, for softball. And then closing it out again against Michigan on uh, on Sunday, Mike. Just a, a really great weekend. I mean, uh, again, not everyone is a softball fan. It's probably not the, the sport. A lot of people are watching it all the times, Mike. But high drama and UCF comes out on top, Mike. First time ever we are advancing to the Super Regionals. Um, what are your thoughts when you when you kind of saw the scores and realized UCF was moving on? Yeah, you couldn't have drawn it up any better, right? I mean, a nice clean victory to start it off against a team that you should beat. And then we knew Michigan was going to be a tough opponent, and they were that very first game. We were trailing, found a way to claw our way back, and an extra inning thriller. I mean, what's better than that? And then to, to close them out again on Sunday was fantastic, man. The girls played great. Uh, just individual efforts all around were just key. I mean, how many pitches did Woodall throw? 180 pitches there? 181 uh, she threw on Saturday. And if that doesn't help, Mike, she came back and she closed it on Sunday. So she came back, and I don't know how many pitches she threw on Sunday. Probably, she, I mean, at least two innings worth, so probably at least 50 pitches. So uh, she threw 230-some pitches in, in two days. You could just take my arm off if that was me. I wouldn't. I don't even know how I would raise my arm the next day. Yeah, and it's not just arm. I, I, my girls are just now learning how to pitch, and it, it's a – very complicated, different motion that you're not used to. There's a lot of steps to it. It's not just swinging your arm around. You got your <laughs> legs. Everything's involved in that motion. So to do that that many times and that well is very impressive. So, uh, but overall, man, the team looks fantastic. And now here we go. I, I said it just before this. You know, we got here. We, we were hosting the regional. Now let's go win it. And they did that. They made history. On to the next half. Anything from here now is just gravy, right? If you find a way to beat Oklahoma, who is the number one ranked team in the country, mm-hmm. um, then, I mean, then you're talking best sports team in UCF history uh, of any sport, maybe. Yeah, and, and while Saturday was a close game against Michigan, again, a, a late hit by, by Maddie, but Rana drives in a run, and then she drives in another one to, to win the game. Sunday was pretty much a no-doubter. I mean, we were up pretty big. Uh, Michigan put two across in the, in the final inning just to make it a little bit closer. But, I mean, that, that was a, a pretty uh, solid game um, on UCF's favor. And the thing is that they, I mean, Elo told us, you know, going into this when we had him on the live show, Mike, he said this is going to be a region about pitching. And, you know, Michigan had some stud pitchers that were supposed to play really well. Uh, but it was really the reverse. I mean, Camel Woodall shut him down on Saturday. And then Gianna Mancha kept him in, under control. And, and Woodall closed it out on Sunday. We were the better team from a pitching standpoint. And uh, picture this, Mike. Jada Cody, who, you know, is, is obviously a, the, our, our world player, um, she didn't even really hit that well. I mean, she, she played okay, but, um, you know, the, the batches wasn't there, but she made some fantastic defensive efforts, a great over-the-shoulder catch at third base, caught one against the screen um, when she was catching for Mancha on uh, on Sunday, Mike. But what what did you make of – I mean, the, the plex was just packed over the weekend, people everywhere that kept showing shots of the crowd. I mean, all in all, that, that's a good weekend just for UCF in general, right, just to see how much people got behind the, the softball team. But for everyone watching on ESPN, just to see a packed house, um, and nothing cooler as an alum, as a fan, to, to see everyone coming together cheering on a team. Definitely. And I mean, you even see that the first game, Malzahn's out there, Mohajer, the new basketball coach, Mester. Everybody's out there. It's a family atmosphere. Everybody on this campus loves each other. They all support each other. It's great to see. 
Um, but, you know, I think he shortchanged Jada Cody there. She dropped a couple bombs in the first game, right? Two home runs, I think, in, in game one. Fair. That's and fair. Yeah. the big difference, I mean, that first game against Michigan, you're talking the extra inning game. You win that, and you're in the driver's seat. You lose that, and you see what happens. Michigan yeah. has to play that extra game. They got to go, you know. It's a big trickle-down effect. That's why that game was so huge. If you end up losing that game, who knows how this thing turns out. But, um, yeah, to, to see the atmosphere on campus, it just shows that the support is there, and maybe we can start doing some upgrades to this softball. Maybe a new scoreboard, maybe some shade. I know we've been talking about shade for years over at that place. It's hot, and I heard it was pretty humid out there, too. Everybody's talking about that. <laughs> ESPN so. brought it up like every seven pitches that it was humid out. <laughs> if we get a little cover out there in some areas, maybe make it a little more enjoyable for the fans. Cause, I mean, you got to give the fans a lot of credit sticking through that weather, too. It's not easy. Yeah. I mean, maybe they need to add the the, uh, the lazy river. Could maybe go make a, a lap around the softball field, and all of a sudden you're watching softball floating on a, on a float. That, that could add some excitement to the program, too. Well, we we dodged an interesting bullet here. I mean, it doesn't have to be talked about now because it didn't turn out that way. But there was also a, a, just a bunch of bad weather on Saturday night, which pumped back all of the other games. And initially, there was some confusion whether or not Michigan did not finish their game, so they essentially had to had to finish a game and then and then potentially play another one. And if they had beaten UCF, then we would have had to play them again. There was some conversation about can you play three games in a day? You had some time. You didn't have some time. Initially, they said yes. If Michigan uh, were to beat UCF in, in the first matchup, we would play them again the next uh, later, like basically 30 minutes after that game ended. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they changed the ruling. Uh, and that game will be played Monday, which obviously would be, uh, you know, to Michigan, Michigan's advantage to not have to keep playing and playing and playing. So a minor controversy brews there. But uh, it's all for naught, Mike, as, uh, as UCF sends Michigan home packing. And, uh, and you said it's on the Super Regional. Uh, here's the particulars for those who are interested. Friday, 4.30 ESPN 2. And then Saturday, 2 p.m. on ESPN. It's, it's obviously a, uh, it's a best-of-three series in Norman, Oklahoma, Mike mentioned it. Oklahoma, the number one seed, they won their regional by beating Texas uh, A&M. I think it was twenty to nothing. Uh, they missed the extra point, apparently. And so our work is cut out for us, Mike. But you said it earlier. Everything after this is just kind of gravy. Um, so you know, you never know what'll happen. Anytime you line up between the white lines, any sort of fluky, random type stuff can happen. But we got to beat Oklahoma twice now. It's a different kind of format in, in order to advance. Um, so definitely a tall task for the, uh, the softball team. Yeah, it's two out of three, two out of three. You got to steal that. If you can steal that first one, fantastic. But, um, Oklahoma is a different animal, man. 20 to nothing you mentioned in a regional final. That's pretty impressive. And they've got the pitching. I, I, I saw the stat earlier today. What was there? They have a very good record. And I believe yes, they like, do. Yes, they do. <laughs> 20 of their games are shutouts. I don't think they gave up runs in, in most of the games they played. So something stupid like that. So it's going to be very challenging. And if you could just make it to the, make it a one game, you know, make it come down to Sunday for one game, all the marbles, anything can happen, man. A bad bounce here, a bad call by the ump there, anything. And before you know it, we're in the college world series, but you got to take it one game at a time, one pitch at a time, one inning at a time, one pitch, work the counts and see what you can do, man. This team, I wouldn't be surprised if we can pull it off. You know, bigger upsets have happened in sports history. So we're here now. We might as well go for it. 
Well, I think th- this team has proven if we keep it close, right, that there's just a certain mojo about how they play and, and sort of that, you know, we, when we had Jada Cody on the live show, I mean, she kind of said, hey, we just we just keep believing until, you know, the last out is there. And we saw that twice on Saturday. So if you keep it close, right, it's a one-run game, a two-run game. You know, you get down to that, you know, fifth inning, sixth inning. I mean, I feel like that's where if UCF's in striking distance – I wouldn't count them out. I mean, I know Oklahoma's fantastic, but we've seen them, you know, pull some stuff off before. So I think that's the name of the game is is keep them close, uh, you know, play solid defense. Um, you know, I think that the pitching hopefully will be there with Mancha and Woodall, play solid defense behind them, just keep it close, get some timely hits, and you never know, right? You, to your point, you steal one, and all of a sudden now it all comes down to to one game. And at that point, who's the pressure on? Is it on UCF or is it on Oklahoma, right? I mean, this, if this is 1-1 going into Sunday – you know, who's got the most pressure, UCF or Oklahoma? Probably Oklahoma, right? Because they're expected to win this thing for UCF. To your point, it's house money at that, at that time. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely on Oklahoma if it got down to that. And, you know, this team, you mentioned, they've got a flair for the dramatic. Yeah. And it's not just one girl every time. I mean, Doherty's done it a couple times, but now you got Maddie chipping in. And it could be anybody on this roster. It could be the, the hero that day. And, you know, this is going to be huge. If, if they can pull this off, like I was saying before, I think Elo mentioned it. They're in the discussion now for best team mm. in UCF history, regardless of sport. Yeah. And to get that far, baseball's never won a regional. Forget talking about the College World Series. I mean, football, we know we've never been invited to the playoff. Um, basketball has only gotten one win in the tournament. So this is it, man. These girls are primed and ready to go. I think they're excited. They've got to be excited for this opportunity. And, you know, Softball, anything can happen, like I mentioned. So I'm not counting them out. Well, again, uh, tune in Friday. I'm sure we'll cover a little bit more of this, Mike, on uh, on our live show this week and maybe an interview or two along the way. Um, so tune in Friday, 4.30 ESPN2 for the first game, Saturday, 2 p.m. for game two. And uh, let's just see if we can keep this roller coaster ride uh, moving, Mike. Though, but Speaking of roller coasters, the baseball team will begin their uh, AAC conference play uh, on Tuesday night, we are going to be playing Memphis after 4 p.m., so no earlier than 4 p.m., but depending on when the first game ends, it could be a little bit later, Mike. Uh, UCF sneaks uh, sneaks in with the two seed um, based on uh, virtue of loss by Houston at ECU. ECU clearly the one seed, Memphis the seven seed. We obviously um, played Memphis earlier, took two of three from them, uh, but uh, uh, now in Clearwater where they, where they put on the uh, AAC tournament. And the reality is this, Mike, we need to win this whole thing uh, to get any postseason activity. So it's basically no, no, no holding back, no holds barred. Got to win them all at this point. It starts with Memphis on Tuesday. W- what do you expect, Mike? I mean, do you have any optimism we can make a run here? Do you think we can even beat Memphis? Where, where are you at in terms of your confidence level of the baseball team? <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised if we were two in barbecue. And I wouldn't be surprised if we made a run all the way to the final game. And last year, East Carolina has been the, the, the team in this conference for a while. Last year, they were very good. And I think they lost their first two games. And they were out quickly. Mm-hmm. We don't have to deal with them until if we got to the championship game. So let somebody else maybe do the dirty work. And there's no other team in this conference that scares you, that says, you say, wow, we have no chance of beating them. Well, there's a team uh, that scares me. Hold on. There's actually a team that scares me. Us? Yes, UCF scares me because <laughs> I don't know which team is going to show up. Yeah, yeah, that, that is true. <laughs> but it, it could also work in favor of us too because sometimes the team that shows up is the team that plays 
pretty good baseball and pitches well. And, and that team can show up for a few days, too. So uh, we got lucky. We got a, a two seed, even though we had a back into it and you know, losing a couple games this past week. And we're not playing great. But you know what? Sometimes when we have a bad weekend, we follow that up the next weekend with a good one. And that's exactly what needs to happen this week. Well, we'll see. I mean, a, a couple of uh, uh, of notes. Ben Vespi, who I expect, expect will get the ball on Tuesday at Memphis. He was named first conference, uh, uh, or first team all conference, as was Connor Stain. Don't know his his status, Mike. We obviously saw him play a little bit uh, against the Cincinnati series. Uh, Steven Bronca on our extra live show last night said he's not even really sure what to expect out of him. But Litchfield's been pitching a little bit better. Bronca was excited about what he saw out of him, Mike. But interesting to note, though, ECU – is by most accounts already considered a tournament team. If they win one game in this tournament, in theory, that that should solidify where they are. It was funny, Steven Bronca brought up how motivated will ECU be? Will they want to throw their, you know, their main pitchers? Will they want to get some guys some rest? How much do they care about winning the AAC tournament when they they kind of know their fate? So, it's it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Again, double elimination, so I mean, it depends on uh, same concept. If we win Tuesday, which is a, it's a huge if, we would then play Thursday again, which is a good benefit, right? So you get an extra day of rest for your guys. But if we lose Tuesday, we turn back around and play Wednesday. So that first game against Memphis holds a lot of cards, not just because you need the win, but a win gets you an extra day's rest uh, and maybe sets you up a little bit, Mike. But it's it's you never know what's going to happen, man. These tournaments are always kind of weird. You never know what can happen. UCF goes all the way to the to the finals last year against the Cows, loses to the Cows, who are now the eighth seed in this tournament. I mean, stranger things have happened, but the strangest thing that has to happen is we got to win this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you got to stay out of the loser's bracket as long as possible. You lose that first day. I'd like to see the, the numbers and percentages of teams that lose game one and come back to win the whole thing. It can't be very high, you know, because then you're just burning out your pitchers. You're pitching every, you're throwing every day. Um, there's no way that happens very often, especially for a team that's like us. That's not a great team. You could see like a powerhouse maybe pulling that off, but, but there's no way. I think if we lose the first game on Tuesday, I think it, it's done. Yeah, that's why I say maybe we'll be out on Wednesday. But if we win that game, then all of a sudden you don't play till Thursday, and then you get a favorable matchup that game, and then you play, and then. After that, you're playing a team that's tired. You know, you, if you win the first two games, you're in very good shape. And then once you get to that championship game, anything could happen. We made it there last year. And like I said, if somebody knocks off East Carolina on the other side of the bracket, I feel good about facing whoever it is coming out of that side. And we had to be the higher seed, which makes us the home team, I believe, right? So um, once East Carolina's out of the picture, uh, it's anybody's bracket. So let's see what happens. Again, Tuesday, all the festivities kick off, uh, and so to, it's a big week for for UCF sports. Mike, obviously, softball is traveling uh, on Friday uh, to play. Uh, baseball could be playing Tuesday or Wednesday or Tuesday and Thursday. Charge on tours are going on Tuesday uh, on the on the Space Coast uh, Thursday in Oviedo. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty heavy uh, UCF sports week. It's, this is usually supposed to be the dead time, but there's a there's a lot of stuff going on. Gus and and Timo are gonna get some frequent flyer miles. Hopefully, you assume that they're all going to Oklahoma, right? Like I'd love to see Gus uh, out and, and and you know some of the other coaches out at the you know, at the super regional cheering on the night, you got to hope maybe they can get a few people out there. now. Timo would definitely be there. I wonder if Gus will be there. And we've got some old friends now that are over in Oklahoma. I wonder if we'll see some of those guys. Josh Heupel. Out in the stands. Huh? Josh Heupel, maybe. Um, well, 
no, he's no. in Tennessee now. But mm, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you think Gabriel's out there? Oh, that guy. Socks? <laughs> that guy. He's gonna be out in left field, hawking socks out there. I don't think he'll hawk socks, but I, I think there's um, there's a thousand percent chance if he shows up. He's head to toe in DG the brand gear. There's no chance he's rocking OU gear. He's head to toe in DG the brand gear. You cannot convince me otherwise. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say he was going to come out with all Oklahoma stuff. Like, yeah, it makes more sense. DG the brand. Um, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. exactly what. <laughs> what he, was, was there ever a question on what he's going to come out wearing? <laughs> There's no question that he's not wearing UCF stuff. Well, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean he can't. You know, right? He can't, uh, you know, root for UCF. Nor, no, I mean, no. nor do I care if he does. But uh, he he cannot care. Another thing that's it's happening, Mike, is um, uh, and it's 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 happening on Twitter now tonight as we're talking. So uh, a fun, cool, uh, interest story over the weekend. Uh, Maddie Bejarano, uh, her brother, is uh, somebody who means the world to her. And uh, there's there's an effort undergoing on social media now. Robert at Two Letters Two Words is trying to. Uh, to get some things worked out, to get her brother uh, flown out from Arizona to Oklahoma to watch her play. So if that's something you're into, um, check out Robert's uh, Twitter feed at Two Layers Two Words. And stay tuned, Mike. You never know who will get involved in these kind of things. You never know what kind of stuff can happen when, when a good interest story comes about. Stranger things have happened. Just you know, stay close to this one. But if you're interested, uh, maybe check out Robert's uh, Twitter account and, uh, and see what's going on. And if it's something you're interested into, you know, maybe drop a couple of dollars in the bucket there and we'll see what will happen. Yeah, I'm hearing some good things about this situation. Maybe uh, people we know getting involved. And uh, I see some uh, a lot of positives coming out of this. And it's going to start with her brother getting to go see her play in the Super Regional. That'll be uh, that'll be a fun time, Mike. All right, let's let's uh, let's let's transition here. Something that we did um, – uh, a lot over the summertime and it's kind of a staple of the show. Mike, we did our top fives, a lot of top five list. Uh, you know, we always kind of talk about what we're working on and, you know, fun stuff and yada, yada, yada. So I figured let's just, let's just make this a segment. I mean, let's just do this thing, you know, uh, formally now and just do a, a top five list, whatever you want to do a top five on, maybe you see it related, maybe not you see it related. Each of us with a top five list for the show, Mike. So I've got a top five prepared. I know you were still at the. You were still looking through your pockets for one of your most recent top five lists. Not sure if you if you rummaged and found one in there or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got something here. Okay. Do you want to go first? You want me to go? You don't seem as confident in your top five. So I do. You want, do you want me? <laughs> do you want me to? Do you want me to take mine first and then uh, and then you can figure out where you're feeling at that point? Uh, yeah, go first. All right, Mike. Here's my top five. This is the top five list of coaches currently coaching at UCF. Top five coaches. You ready for this? All right. Yeah. yeah okay. You understand the rules? They have to be a coach. Have to be a coach. At UCF. Current coach. Wow. Ter- current coach at UCF. Correct. Employed current coach at UCF. So Coach Abe, not uh, not eligible. Although she would have been a really strong selection option for me at that point. Uh, but Coach mm-hmm. Abe, not eligible at this point in time. So top five current coaches at UCF. Mike number five. Scott Calabrese. Head men's soccer coach Mike, forty-five and sixteen in his time at UCF. Three straight AAC conference uh, regular season champions. Three straight NCAA appearances. That includes a Sweet Sixteen, Mike. That includes an AAC conference championship win as well. Uh, Scott Calabrese has the men's soccer program moving in the right direction. They're typically a team that plays well every season. Uh, again, a Sweet Sixteen on his resume, Mike. Number five, Scott Calabrese soccer. 
All right. Yeah, he's done a fantastic job. Won the conference a couple times. And uh, this past year wasn't as, as good, but, um, you know, he's done a, a pretty solid job for his time here. All right. What you, so far, so far we're agreement. Okay, number four, Mike. Ready? Mm-hmm. Todd Dagenet, volleyball coach. Mike Todd Dagenet, two hundred eighty career career wins. He has uh, four straight AAC championships, four straight NCAA appearances for the team, five total AAC championships, five total appearances. Uh, they've lost three conference games in the last four years. Really, the only knock on Dagenet is is do it in the playoffs, right? He hasn't had a chance to really break through and get the team uh, to uh, some of the later rounds in the tournament, Mike. But they are perennially a team that is uh, is battling uh, for a conference tournament and battling for an NCAA berth. Um, and it, this kind of feels like one of those deals with like the football program. We talked to our guests this evening. You hear a lot about kind of getting over the hump. Feels like. Volleyball just hasn't quite gotten there, which is why Dagenet is not any higher on this list, Mike. But Todd Dagenet, coach number four on the top five. Yeah, another guy that's putting together a very nice resume. Now all that's missing is do it in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, we were we were favored, I believe, this year, right, in the first sure. round, and yep. and could not pull it off. Um, so that's what's missing. But they still got time here. You know, he's got a couple more seasons. Before we uh, light up the hot seat, I think. Okay. He's got to start doing it when it counts. Well, he, that's a that's a tough drop for number four on the list of the hot seats. <laughs> let's uh, let's hope he pulls it together, Mike. <laughs> the number three head coach currently at UCF is Gustavo Malzahn. Gus Malzahn checks in at number three. Obviously, only one season at UCF, uh, so the on the field record eight and four. Uh, that, but that includes a a nice win against Florida in the Gasparilla Bowl, Mike. But for Gus, obviously, his position is different than any other coach on on campus, and and that's just kind of facts. That just is what it is. He's in a much higher profile position, and I would say what he's done to elevate the football team's brand, uh, what he's done to uh, to you know add to um, the legacy that you know was built before him. Um, I think he's you know coin that future of college football phrase and he's kind of living it right now the recruits we're getting in um and sort of the, the plans to get to the big 12 what that's going to look like um yeah, the transfer portal stuff i mean even though only one season on field uh i mean i think the things that gus has done off field which frankly i mean impact all the other sports programs to to an extent as well um so this is uh this is a three seed for gus malzahn if he had more time to actually coach on the field it may be higher but I got Gus at the at the three spot, Mike. All right, uh, he's done a very good job. You know, we lost a couple games last year that, in my eyes, were not acceptable. The Navy game, especially, mm-hmm. still not happy with that one. Um, I, I how we blew a fourteen point lead in the fourth quarter against those guys, I still don't get it. But um, you know, overall, he, he redeemed himself there at the end of the year, beating Florida. He's got this recruiting thing going now. So this is a huge year for him. Year number two, we saw what Frost did in two years. That's going to be like the uh, what we're going to judge him against. How, how much improvement is he going to show in year two here? Uh, he's got a, a lot of potential and a, a long way to go still. But I, I like the way the program is headed in football. I think pretty much everybody is is excited about this upcoming season. All right, my number two current coach on UCF's campus on staff at UCF is. I'm gonna build some suspense, Mike. Ready? 
Cindy Ball Malone, head softball coach. Mike, she's been there for uh, four full seasons now. Uh, this is the second straight year she's taken the the Knights to uh, to the tournament. Um, this is obviously the furthest that they've gone, winning their regional. Uh, the 2020 season gets canceled. They were 21 and five at the time that that season got canceled, Mike. So you got to wonder what that year would have been. Last two years, 41 wins in 2021, 49 wins in 2022. I mean, she's taken the program and moved it a lot forward. And, and you know, we talked about it earlier where the softball program is at, where the team is at right now relative to their sport and where the other sports are. I mean, they, they've made it pretty far from a success perspective. Uh, and if for some reason we, we pull this off this weekend, that, that'll be, um, you know, pro- you know to, to your point or Elo's point earlier, one of the most exciting things ever in UCF sports history. So I've got Cindy Ball Malone, number two. I, a little bit of that, you know, uh, recency bias, but a consistent program and, uh, and and look at the results. They speak for themselves. When do we have to start getting nervous about somebody coming around and stealing her like they did with Coach Abe for women's basketball? Uh, that's going to be the one issue. When you have a little too much success now, you know, it's hard to keep them around. I don't, I don't know what her contract looks like, but I'm sure she's going to be in line for a little bit of a raise here after this season. And let's see if she can keep this thing going. If she wins a couple of games this weekend, oh, boy, she may be in for a big-time payday. Yeah, we may have to pay her on the plane home uh, at that point, Mike. And the number one coach currently on UCF campus, the top spot belongs to? Greg Lovelady. Linda Gooch, the head oh. cheerleading coach, Mike. Three national titles. 2003, 2007, and 2020. They have placed in the top three um, in the last six years. They've been in the top 10, 17 of the last 19 seasons. Obviously, cheerleading and, and the cheer competition world uh, doesn't get a ton of publicity, isn't always on you know primetime ABC at night, Mike, but perhaps the, the, really the, the only other program outside of, uh, outside of football to have a national championship, and they have three of those bad boys. Again, let me let me tell you this again. They've been in the top 10 17 of the last 19 years, and they have been in the top three for the last six seasons. Mike, Linda Gooch, the top coach on UCF campus right now. Yeah, we're a powerhouse when it comes to cheerleading, and she's been there the entire time. Um, UCF royalty, that the whole Gooch family. Yeah. And it's mostly because of her. I mean, mostly. Alan Gooch was, was a nice football coach too, but. Linda has really <laughs> made the the, uh, the name for the Gooch family here at UCF. Um, fantastic job. Three national championships and a couple of runner-ups. And like you said, we're always in it. Every time the, the cheerleading con- competition comes around, you know we're in the finals. We're in the top five. We're competing to win the whole thing every single year. So fantastic job out of her. OLI, Dana Boone, track and field coach. This year they won both the indoor and the outdoor AAC championship. So uh, Dana Boone, OLI on this one, Mike. Not pictured Greg Lovelady, not pictured Johnny Dawkins. Yeah, where do you rank those guys? Are they top 10? <laughs> How many sports do we have on campus? <laughs> I mean, John Roddick is in there, tennis. Um, uh, uh, we're talking club programs, too. I don't know if we take those. Track and field? Rowing. Uh, I mean, the rowing program, I think, has been doing pretty good. Uh, women's tennis. Uh, you got golf. I mean, golf went to the NCAA's this year, both men's and women. So I, I, Dawkins may not be top ten. Like I'm have to, I have to go back to the lab and uh, and and sketch this out. <laughs> That's a little bit of a problem when your basketball coach and your baseball coach are not considered top five on campus. But um, you know, 
Love Lady still got a shot with this team. The season's still going on. You never know. Yeah, could make a run. We could make a run. Uh, that's my that's my top five list, Mike. I, do, are you? Do you feel good about your? I don't want to pressure you into a top five list if you're not ready. No, I got one. Okay, got one. we're all waiting. I got top five. What the softball team this did this weekend? Mm. They made history. Okay, you know, first time ever winning a regional, going on to the super regional. They, it's a historic team, which made me think of what other history making teams have we had? Top five history-making teams. I, I can't just say teams because there's also an individual in here. So okay. top five history-making individual slash teams. <laughs> Get your UCF list, yeah. And, yeah. And, and they're not – and maybe there's another thing here. Teams <laughs> okay. that you, you, you never heard of or okay. you forgot about. Okay. You know, they're not any of the football teams or basketball <laughs> teams. Let's put it that way. <laughs> we got to shorten this title right, a little. Five. We got to shorten the title just a little bit. Yeah, we it's, a, f- it's a weird title. Okay. Top five history-making teams that you didn't know about. But it could also be a person. Yes, it could be a person. Okay. There's one person. There's one person. Okay. All right. Rolls Number off the five. Top. Here we go. He's a golfer. His name's Greg Eason. In 2013, he was the first knight to ever win an individual NCAA regional title. Wow. Did you know that? I did not know that. He shot a 63 in round two to take the lead and never looked back. First guy ever to win a regional individually. Greg Eason, he's number five on history-making. Well, he's the guy. But history-making teams that you never heard of or you forgot about. Where's he at now, do you know? No idea. Okay. <laughs> number four. Maybe he's listening to the show. I, maybe. Number four. 2019 men's soccer. First team ever to advance to the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. Made history that year. Um, 6-0-1 in conference. 15-3-2 overall. They had a streak there where they went 16 games in a row without a loss. Mm-hmm. A pretty impressive season they had. They put together there in 2019. It made history by making that Sweet 16 first time. Led by the number cool. five coach on my list. I agree with you. There you go. Number three. The 2001 baseball team. Atlantic Sun champions. I don't know if I remember this. They got ranked as high as number seven that year. Yeesh. That, that is history right there in UCF sports. Number seven in the country. We know Pope and Arnold, the guys that we had out there. We went to a few of these games in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the first year they opened up Jay Berger and Fields. From right there. And they, we got screwed by getting sent to the South Carolina regional where we lost to South Carolina in the last game. But, um, Made history by being the highest-ranked team in UCF baseball history in 2001. Number seven. Gotcha. Okay. Number two. Okay. You mentioned them already. I did. The 2003 cheerleading team. Wow. First ever national champs. Uh, you forget, or maybe you didn't know. We were in Division One in cheerleading just as long as we weren't in football. We moved up in 1996, both sports. It only took us seven years to win a national championship. That's pretty impressive in itself. The 2003 cheerleading team is in the Hall of Fame, and Linda, led by Linda Gooch, who's she's not in the Hall of Fame already. She's got to definitely be. I don't know if it's a wait until after she retires or what the deal is. She might already be. But um, first ever national championship team, 2003. They went on to win a couple more, like you mentioned. Did it. And the number one. Of the top five history-making teams in UCF history that you didn't know about, and I didn't know about this one either. 
1978 volleyball. The 1978 volleyball team. Let me go over some of these stats. First of all, we were Division Two. We won the national championship. You know our record that year? I don't. 55 and zero. Is that good? That's pretty good. Okay. 39 and 0 in the regular season. They had four All-Americans on the team, and. That season, I believe, going into the next season, 69 straight wins. That's pretty damn impressive. That's the number one team that you never heard of at UCF. That is, I mean, I've heard of the volleyball team, but well, you never heard of the 1978 national championship team. Did you know about that? Are they in the Hall of Fame? They are also in the UCF Hall of Fame. Wow. Them and the 2003 cheerleading team, the only teams in the UCF Hall of Fame. Fun fact. Did not know that. Okay. I'm glad we did this top five. Wow, yeah. Story time with Uncle Mike. I, I, I highly doubt anyone tuned in tonight to expecting uh, this to be your home for cheerleading and 70s volleyball talk, but here we are. <laughs> if anybody knew this already, it's uh, James Reed, right? Costags? He already knew that. Yeah. He probably knew the records. And yeah, Costags probably the most likely to have known that. Um, Kevin Reese, if he's listening. Kevin yeah. Reese probably. Reese is probably covering those volleyball games. <laughs> Reese is probably on the team back then. Uh, yes, uh, those are probably the most uh, likely to have known any of those uh, those stats, Mike. That's. Do you have any more top fives? I don't want to. I don't want to cut you off. Um, that was my one top five list. You got another, You guys doing a second one? I don't have a second. If you have one though, I don't want to. I, wanna, I, don't I wanna... was trying with Elton Pyerson being the guest. Top today. five Elton. Come up with top five Elton. I was no, there too. I was there too. <laughs> there Elton no Brand, Elton John. John. I was really out That's after it. those two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was searching for any other Elton. I've never heard of. And there's an Elton yeah. Brown. I think he's an author or a cook or something, but uh, <laughs> I was out after that. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. We should really, That's we should really, cool. you know, communicate before the show or else we would have the exact same top five list, <laughs> which have been, uh, which would have been fantastic. All right. Well, we'll get I better mean, at these top fives. Probably. Do you want to do Elton John top five songs? I mean, do you, do you have them already? No, I don't have them already. But I can whip them up, I guess. I mean, give me a name. I, I mean, do you have a favorite? What's your favorite? Oh, man. So I've got um, uh, favorites, a tough word. I mean, Rocket Man, obviously, it's a classic. Um, Benny and the Jets. That gets me every time. Um, I always liked Yellow Brick Road. Um, it's, yeah. a, it's a good one. Um, man, I know I'm forgetting one. It's probably got, he has a Princess Diana song, "Candle in the Wind," right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good one. That's a good one. That's all. That's all I got. Tiny dancer. Oh, tiny dancer. Uh, Don't go breaking my heart. Uh, uh, but it's cold heart. The, the new I one. guess the, the, that's why they heart. call it. The, that's a good one too. Cold. Yeah. Do you count yeah. that though? Is that, is that, I mean, it's on the radio yeah. every four minutes. Yeah, no, it's not a top five. I can tell you that. Okay. Don't let the sun go down on me. I mean, you've got thousands of them. Crocodile Rock. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Is that we just, we just named like ten of them? So to pick pick your top yeah. five out of that, people. That's uh, that's what we that's what we got there. Yeah. The bitch is back. What, so what's your oh fair point? What's your what's your number one then? What's your go to? I don't know, man. It depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Because you got a lot of like ballads. Saturday nights, all right for fighting. You know that's, that's a classic. It depends on you know. I, I don't know if I have a, a favorite favorite, but I, I like a lot of them. Okay. I mean, Rock, Rocket Man was up there for a while, and you know Roger Clemens was pitching for the Yankees. They played all the time. That's fair. But um, 
No, I don't know. I gotta say, it depends on what kind of mood I'm in. All right. Well, the rare top five list where we named more than five and didn't put them in any order, and we have no idea what number one is. So this is uh, mark this date down in history <laughs> as the date that the Sons of UCF top five list uh, took a complete left turn that no one was expecting. Mike. Let's take a break. Uh, hopefully people are expecting that. And uh, we'll come back. We'll play a quick game, and then we'll get on with our guest this week. Uh, don't move. Sons of UCF. Back after this. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. UCF head football coach Gus Malzahn, and you should listen to the sons of UCF like your hair is on fire. Go Knights and charge on. All right, my game time. Again, this game is sponsored by our good friends at Gordon and Partners. They are a, a proud supporter of the sons of UCF. We are proud to have them on board. Legal advice is important, Mike. You want to call somebody that knows what they're doing and that you can trust. That somebody is UCF alum Michael Hoffman, 407-913-5350. That's how you get to Michael. If he can't help you out, he will find a way to get you your answer. Trust a knight with all your legal needs. Trust Michael Hoffman. Trust Gordon in Partners, Mike. And I trust you tonight. I'm going to go through some of these uh, hot takes. These are hot takes, and you're going to tell me whether or not you object to any of these takes. Okay, so I'm going to give you the take. And you tell me whether or not you agree or you object. Are we ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Here's the first one for you, right? We already talked about this off the top of the show. Matty Bejarano's performance this weekend is the best performance by any UCF athlete this year. Do you agree or do you object? Um, wow. Any all year. That is such a broad picture. I mean, I think of every game we've played in every sport. Yes, you individual do. Individual performance. Yes, you do. I mean, you, you got Woodall on the same, was it the same day throwing 181 pitches? It sure was. Um, but you talk about being clutch and saving the team not once, but twice and walking it off. Uh, I'm having a hard time thinking of another person to do something like that. And then, yeah, there's sport. I'm trying to think of something football-wise, but um, this season, no, I think we got to give it to Maddie. I, I will not object to that. You're, yeah, your contenders would have been in that same game, Camel uh, uh, Woodall with the uh, uh, complete game, 180 pitch sequence. Isaiah Bowser had a pretty nice game against Boise State and the, the football uh, opener. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Michigan basketball win for UCF, I mean, it wasn't really any one player that, that played, you know, kind of out of their mind uh, on that one. I mean, McKenna Melville and volleyball had a bunch of consistent games, but, you know, I don't remember there being a game where you were like, oh, my goodness, you know, that was dominant or we needed that one down the stretch. Uh, baseball, I mean, we haven't had a no-hitter or anything this year. Uh, so, I, I mean, th- to me, those are your options. I'm sure I'm forgetting one easy one that people are going to kill us over, and perhaps it is recency bias, but I think Maddie may have may have the top spot here. Again, the only option would be if you're going to give it to her, her teammate, uh, Campbell Woodall. Yeah, so I'm in agreement with this one. 
And yeah, it's definitely a recency bias because it just happened in Fresh in Our Heads. And I can't remember all the other games that went on already this year. All right, that's how you get Mike. We get him when he can't remember something. All right, here's your next one, Mike. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, have you seen Colton, uh, Colton Boomer's yearbook photo? Yeah, I did. Okay. I, I his sure senior did. quote was kicking bombs and kissing your moms uh, was his senior quote, Mike, in his, in his yearbook photo. So here is the, uh, here's the hot take. With Colton Boomer, I don't need my kickers to be funny, Mike. I just need my kickers to make kicks. Do you agree or do you object? I object. I figured I you object. would. Yeah. I loved this. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious one. Well, yeah, I mean, I need them to make kicks, and. If you're going to be funny, that's just a bonus. If you're missing the kicks and you're funny, I don't care. You're not as funny anymore. <laughs> but but th- this was good. And I-, I think I saw his mom's reply. And like, what, what are you talking Whose moms are you kidding? <laughs> it's a great question. Great question. Um, but yeah, it shows he's got a little personality here on him. And now in the age of NIL, I mean, this kid could do some things here and make some money for himself. He's got, he's got the personality, it seems like. Not all he has to do is make the kick. But once he does that, um, he, he's going to set himself up nicely here with this stuff. Yeah, he, he's obviously setting himself up to be a fan favorite, which he is. Uh, but, again, he hasn't yet yet kicked a, a football in a, the college game through those yellow things. So that's what's interesting about it is he can be the funniest guy in the world, but if he goes out and gets the start in game one and shanks three field goals, uh, I, I don't think uh, his yearbook quote is going to be something that people are laughing at at that point. So uh, I, I, don't, I enjoy the personality because it helps uh, you know you and I talk about something, and uh, it's it's good to, to get to know these kids. And I think generally speaking, I'm okay with it. It's an innocuous you know high school senior quote. I don't even remember what. Do you even remember what yours was? I don't even have. I have no clue what mine was. <laughs> I remember what mine was because it was not allowed in the yearbook. That sounds about right. <laughs> and I never got in trouble in high school. I really didn't. But that one time they did call me into the office is because of my senior quote, and they didn't put it in the yearbook. Is and, it uh, something you can share here, or how, how are we feeling about this? Yeah, it was a famous uh, Confucius. Oh story. yes, man with, man hand, with in, hand in pocket. Yeah, cocky all day. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. <laughs> That didn't go in. So, yeah. if you look in our yearbook, my quote is missing. I did, I I actually spent zero percent of my effort today finding our senior year yearbook. I don't even remember what mine was. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm good with that, Mike. Orlando Sentinel news today that the American Conference payout per team was seven point nine million dollars. So UCF nets seven point nine million dollars, Mike. In the grand scheme of things. $7.9 million isn't really so bad after all, Mike. Do you agree or do you object? $7.9 million for what? No, I missed the, the AAC payout. That's what the a- the conference paid us this year for TV rights and all that other stuff. Oh. Um, well, this was like tiered, right? So the first couple of years we were getting five or three or whatever. And that, this is the highest it got. It was almost eight. Yeah, I believe that is correct, yes. Yeah. Um, not bad. No, I mean, it's not great. It's not great, but have we figured out what the payout's going to be to get out of this conference? Is it 18? It is uh, still undecided. There's still negotiations that are ongoing. So we're basically going to have to pay twice as much as what we made this year. So uh, I don't don't think the payout's great. Obviously, it's nothing compared to conferences like the SEC and Big Ten and all that. So um, I object, I guess. Is that the question? Yeah, so you you think seven nine's fair? It's a good amount of money. We should be happy with seven nine. 
No, definitely not. I mean, <laughs> that's exactly the reason why we're getting out of the conference because we're not happy with some of that. Right? That is the the main reason to to move on to the Big Twelve. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, we'll take it. I guess it's better than being in the Mac or whatever it is. But there we go. It's not going to cut it going forward. Yeah, according to the the article, uh, there are some factors that that number is, I guess, less than maybe anticipated or than in previous years. Um, COVID and, and some other factors are listed as reasons for that. Uh, but I mean, that that just goes to underscore where potentially we are at with the Big Twelve, right? With the numbers that are potentially on the table. In later years of that deal, right, could be double or triple this. Uh, so to, to Mike's point, being on the doorstep of, you know, get, uh, gathering uh, additional revenue, I think is uh, makes this number look small and tiny. Uh, and uh, and this probably underscores one of the main reasons why we are getting the heck out of here. Yeah. And, you know, Oresco tried to do some word Olympics when the deal was signed to make it seem like it was better than it actually was. I never really bought into it. But, um yeah, as long as we're getting out of here soon. So whatever we had to pay, just pay it and never have to deal with this conference Give again. Give me the seven nine and get out of my way, Mike. All right, here's the next one. We mentioned off the top, softball goes to Oklahoma to play the uh, number one ranked team in the nation, the Oklahoma Sooners. Mike, if we beat Oklahoma this weekend to win that Super Regional, it would be the biggest upset in school history. Agree or object? Biggest upset in school history. Uh, and now I'm drawing blanks again, trying to think of what the other upsets are. You want to? Have mean, we ever beaten the number had, one team in anything? Have we ever beaten the number one team in anything? I have to say we have. Have we not? Have we anything? And what, and what, and what have we? And what have we done? <laughs> where, where, Get Elo on the phone. Where, where? Where has it been? Have I missed it? I don't know. Maybe back in that oh, 77 man. volleyball uh, dynasty you were talking about earlier. I guess if, yeah. if you're talking about the D1 era, because I'm sure it's possible back in like 1982, you know, we had the number one rowing team in the nation and beat somebody and, and, and who the heck knows that. But um, num- number one team in the nation, hey, top seed. We beat the, the number one team in baseball just like last year, right? Wasn't uh, Mississippi number one or Old Miss? Yeah. A and couple a, years ago, Auburn was one. <clears throat> We've beaten number one teams before in other sports. Regular season game. Regular season, yes. Do it in the playoffs, I know. <laughs> um, I mean, this would be the biggest one for sure. I don't know if it's the biggest. Would it be the biggest upset? I mean, we are. It's not like we were a four seed in our region, and now here we go. You know, it's not like Stony Brook a couple years ago when they beat won our region in baseball and went on to the College World Series. But uh, to beat the number one overall seed would be huge. Um, that's. Man, I'm drawing blanks on them. We have to have beaten number one teams in other sports before. Obviously, we've never done it in football. Uh, basketball, I don't think we've ever done that either. Uh, some of these other sports, I'm not sure. Baseball, yeah, I just mentioned that one baseball. But one of the older, the 2001 baseball team, back then those guys never beat the number one team before. I don't know. Biggest win in school history, <laughs> agree or object? <laughs> uh, if they win, yeah, well, Yes, because they'll have to win, beat them twice. Yeah. So how's that? They would have to beat the number one team twice, but yes, it would be. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's an easy one. Yeah, it's in the playoffs. It's uh, obviously we are the uh, that's the that's the that's the lowest seeded matchup possible, right? One versus sixteen. That's how they set that up, right? Um, so it's it's the lowest possible seed uh, that Oklahoma could face, or the highest seed I guess we could face, and you have to beat them twice, and you get a trip to the College World Series. So the stakes on the other end are high. If somehow we pull this off, like a biggest win, uh, biggest upset, whatever you want to call it, in school history, hands down. 
Well, put your okay, hands what up. What about football? Just uh, upset wise, how many points was Baylor favored against us? Seventeen points, something like that. I believe that's correct. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I mean, upset wise, for a game I, that might have been a bigger upset. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want the odds maker. Twenty to nothing, Oklahoma you know, just beat Texas A&M in uh, in softball. <laughs> we run ruled them in the in the championship game, and it wasn't even a championship game. Okay, um, okay. I'll I'll agree though. It feels reluctant though. It feels like you you've you've agreed, but you don't really agree. I mean, I, I don't like when you give me this in UCF history thing, and I have to go back and I don't know all of it. Okay. I mean, if you're asking, play this game with Elo. I guarantee he has a couple other. Uh, I believe Elo is on record as saying this would be the biggest thing ever to happen in UCF uh, sports history. Okay, don't ask Elo. Never mind Elo because he's biased, obviously, with softball. Hmm. You have to ask another historian. You have to ask Fosseg advisor or um, Kevin Drake. Well, hopefully, someone's listening to this and um, hasn't tuned us off after that Elton John segment and can uh, and can tell us more specifically. Again, I think if we figure this thing out, Mike, um, you know, again, I understand the you know football and, and basketball are probably going to be the the sports that take the most eyeballs and that'll gravitate towards, right? So that Fiesta Bowl win, obviously, the Peach Bowl win will be ones that we talk about. But um, I th- this is this is something got to be out there, Mike. All right. Last one. This is more of a fun one for you. This was trending on Twitter over the weekend because somebody brought it up and it became a conversation topic. So who the heck knows? Mike and uh, Timo actually acknowledged it. So here we go. UCF should bring back the black top basketball court. Agree or object? Oh, I agree. That was my favorite court was the black top. I thought it looked good. It was different. You know, it wasn't black, black, but it was, I thought it was cool. I always liked the black top court. It was way better than that roller coaster court that they had a couple of years after that so and what we have now is kind of basic so uh yeah i'd like to see the blacktop come back you like the blacktop or not i do yeah i wish it was a little darker though it looked a little bit weird uh and they kept the key uh the, the same wood color so they got to figure that out a little bit um i'd love to see that maybe cleaned up but uh, i do i think it was something different something unique uh something that you know we, you, you you come in and you sort of see it, right? We saw Memphis do it with a blue court this year. Obviously, we've seen Boise State do it with the turf and, and football. So I'd like to see them do something a little bit unique. But that roller coaster was trash, too. We, that that was a dumb idea. That was a Danny White thing. Oh. Uh, that was that was one of Danny White's only misses was that stupid court. Yeah, oh, that was ridiculous looking. I, I hated it. And uh, I think Memphis actually, before they went to the blue court, had something similar, too. It was all busy and stuff. I think maybe they had a skyline or something. Um, I don't like those. Oregon does uh, trees. They have trees all over their court. Um, yeah, that looks a little weird. Though, didn't F-A- uh, FIU, didn't they do a beach on theirs? I don't know. I can't tell you if I've ever watched the FIU basketball. Aren't you an alum there? <laughs> you don't know this? I mean, I thought <laughs> it's not in the newsletter or something. Man. Uh, no. You know, I, I don't even get anything from FIU. I did just get something from FAU. All right. Because I bought tickets to the game a couple of years ago for when UCF played. They're trying to sell the tickets for UCF coming in town again this year. Um, I still get emails from Boston College. The one time I bought tickets for a game, we went up there in 2008. And they still send me emails all the time about buying tickets. You should look into it. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't played up there again. but hmm. That was a fun trip. Boston's a nice city. Well, not right now because they're killing the heat. Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's get to our guest this week, Mike. We... Uh, I've been trying to find this guy for a while. We've had some messages back and forth. Uh, he's had some interesting scheduling stuff going on, but we finally tracked him down, Mike. 
uh, one of the best defensive players uh, that we've seen come through UCF, uh, NFL guy. Um, shocking to learn in this interview that he's not a Hall of Famer, which I guess I assumed he was. I didn't even bother to look it up. Um, and uh, uh, just a big-time name, someone who's doing a lot of good stuff here even after he's done with UCF, Mike Elton Patterson. Um, for those who don't know Elton Patterson, he was a uh, – it wasn't the, the biggest guy in the world. He wasn't, uh, you know, the strongest guy in the world. But he was kind of in that that mold of defensive end, that sort of speed rush, kind of, um, you know, get below the, the tackles pads and get to the quarterback. Um, held a bunch of records for UCF for a long time. Still holds a couple of records uh, for his all-time career. Stayed for four years. Just missed the, the Dante years, but it was kind of that bridge in the last couple of years of Cruzak. Was a part of a lot of great games and a lot of great memories. Was part of that, that team that beat Alabama. Uh, but, Mike, just an overall solid player. And somebody, again, I, I was I was shocked to learn that he wasn't uh, a UCF Hall of Famer. Yeah, I didn't know that he wasn't either. The career he had was very good. And maybe now we're going to start the hashtag, you know, EP for the Hall of Fame. Let's get it going. He deserves it. So it's possible. And a lot of other things we learned about this guy during this interview. Um, stuff I didn't know before. So I think it's going to be a good one for you guys to tune into. All right. Well, Mike and I are going to go um, rummage through the Elton John catalog. You all enjoy Elton Patterson. All right. And we're pleased to have Elton Patterson join us now. First off, Elton, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the show and, and share your memories about UCF. Oh, yes. Thank you, man. I appreciate you inviting me. Well, let's start at the very beginning. Take us through your journey to, to UCF. I read some uh, some bio on you. It sounds like you had a really good connection with, with Coach Huff. Can you kind of tell us the story about how you decided to, to show up at UCF and, and enroll as a Golden Knight back in those days? Yeah, man. Coach Huff, man. That was my guy. Uh, one of the best coaches I ever had. And it seems like he was at my school every day. It's back in the old school go on the road and recruit players type days with a not, not a lot of stars or whatnot. We didn't have star system, but it seems like he was just at my school every day. And, um, I liked the school. I, it was a small school back then, UCF, but it was my biggest offer. I didn't have any other offers. I had interest, but I didn't have any other division one offers. Maybe I think Eastern Kentucky, but everything else was like one double a. And, um, I just wanted to play big time football and, um, I think I looked at the schedule when I was coming out of high school and it was Purdue, Georgia, Georgia Tech, and Florida on the schedule. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be my shot to play in front of a lot of people. And I, I, I really like the limelight. So I chose UCF. Well, I mean, uh, if people who have been to the campus and the stadium recently um, know what it looks like now, but it didn't look like that back in 1999 when you stepped on campus. Can you kind of walk us through – what were facilities like? What was the locker room, the weight room, practice? What, what did you kind of walk into when you came to campus in 1999? Well, it definitely was different. Definitely not what's there now. Um, some aspects, you know, the, the structure, everything is the same, but so many more additions. And even then, it still had new dorm rooms and things like that. So I saw the development coming. But as far as football, um, the old Wayne Ditch, yeah, it's just a regular little locker room. And the football fields are pretty nice. It still gave you the feel of I'm on a college campus, you know. So uh, coming from a small high school, it still felt like at that time I was going to a big-time school, right? But it's definitely nothing compared to what it, what it is now, you know. 
But you had to play home games back then in the Citrus Bowl. What was that experience like? I mean, not even on campus, busing all the way down there, big giant stadium. Uh, we obviously didn't always fill the upper deck, but what, what was that experience like playing in a, in a huge stadium like the Citrus Bowl? I, I, you know what's funny? I think back then we thought it was normal, right? Because <laughs> I couldn't fathom playing. <laughs> I can't fathom playing on campus, right? So that's kind of the new thing. Like, oh, you get to play on campus, but – Bussing over there to the games and the bus driver used to, Asante, me and Asante and uh, Daniel and Travis Fisher, we would cut the music up, put a CD in, and just be rocking on the bus all the way down I-4 from the hotel and getting ready for the game. So that was like our pregame ritual, and we made it fun. So it really wasn't a drag back then, but definitely not better than what I can imagine having an on-campus stadium in the locker room. That just sounds crazy to me that sounds fun but that's back then it wasn't too bad back then. what were the what was the music you guys were listening to there's a couple of little songs. the hot boys like <laughs> in the early 2000s little wayne and the hot boys all those that was our jam bling bling and all of that was the jam back then <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we remember it well um <laughs> so, so you did not register your freshman year you came right in and played right away was that the plan coming in? Or were you supposed to redshirt that first year or no? Well, I think I think everyone guessed. And I think Coach Huff, he was really high on me. And um, I think you're kind of guessing. And um, I, I remember this story. Coach Cox, he was the defensive tackles coach. And I think he overheard, overheard us saying, like, man, I, ho- I hope I can be on the travel team and I want to make the team. And that's one thing he taught me back then and I kept with me for life was that he was like, hey, in life, don't worry about what you can and can't do. Just go out there and get your best. And, and if it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. But don't worry about stuff you can't control. You you can't control being on a travel squad or not. So tend to not to worry about things you can't control in life. And that stuck with me. So I just went out there and just did the best that I could. And I don't think when I came, I was suspected to be start to be a starter or even play that year. But I did good and did even better. And next thing you know, I was like the youngest guy that was dressing on the D-line after everybody. Well, that 99 team came in with – I mean, we just lost Dante. He graduates, right? And he's out of there. Mm-hmm. But that team was really good, 10-2, and two, I think, the year before. And then mm-hmm. you guys come in. What were the expectations for that season? New quarterback, new everything. Well, I think – the the expectations were Dante brought a whole a ton of notoriety to UCF. We was kind of coming on the map by the end, you know, like a big time school, you know, um, big time athletes. But it was like the default school at the same time. So I think the presence of Dante Culpepper brought big time players that weren't big then. We all didn't have really big time scholarships, but we became big time players. But we had a work ethic. So I'm talking about from. Um, Asante Samuel, who was supposedly supposed to go to Georgia, but didn't have a real scholarship, right? Travis Fisher was supposed to go to Miami, but ended up at UCL. Um, Brandon Marshall ended up coming in, supposed to go to Florida, they ended up at UCL. So we, and we all knew we was good at the time. Atari Bigby. We all knew we was good, but it was like, hey, we here now, let's go get it. So it was just one of those things, man. We kind of grew to love the grind and the, and the underdog phase. <laughs> Well, that 99 year, you, you mentioned it off the top. I mean, it starts with a, uh, a really uh, uh, interesting um, schedule for you guys. I mean, you, you essentially play four ranked teams in a row, three of them on the road. And probably the most uh, memorable game of that early stretch 
was uh, the game at Georgia, now known as the burglary in between the hedges. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've talked to a lot of different players. We talked to Vic Penn. We even talked to Coach Kruzak. We talked to Borlegi about that game. What are your memories from that game? And how did you experience what was happening there towards the end when UCF, quote unquote, lost? It was the weird, it was the start. It's, it's weird. It was the start of like, wow, I came from high school four months ago to playing in front of 70,000 people, right? And then they had big time players too that we paid attention to. And I had a national spot like Quincy Carter, Marcus Stroud. Like, I'm looking at these guys, Charles Grant. Huge running back. I think he was like 260 running downhill. So we was like, this is big. But you know what? We knew we was good and we knew we could play. And we had some dogs on our team. Charles Lee, Kenny Clark. We just had a bunch. We was well-knitted, tight group. And we knew we could win if we put it all together. So like you say, fast forward, it's fourth quarter. We're like, oh, I think we can win. Right? And now the crowd is getting a little quiet and quieter. And we're going to make history. And I, like you said, I think it was Kenny Clark, if I'm not mistaken. What? They called yep. the pass the yep, there's Kenny. To kick us out of field goal range. And we was like, we can't believe it. Wow, this was it. That was supposed to be the big moment. It wasn't an Alabama game. That was going to be the big moment that we came and beat. Because we had never beat a ranked team or a big-time school before. So that was going to be our moment right there. Well, a lot we of people, was crushed afterwards. A lot of people forget, though. I mean, we, we could have actually kicked a field goal. Um, uh, Kruzik decided to spike the ball. Borlegi had been struggling a little bit. So as opposed to, to basically running the clock and trying to kick a game-winning field goal, he decided to throw one more pass, which was the the Kenny Clark thing. Did, did At the time, were you were you like, man, let's kick this thing, Coach? Or were you kind of riding with, hey, let's let's win this thing in a touchdown? I think, you know, when you're on defense and, and a rookie or a freshman player, <laughs> You just on the sideline watching like fans at that point. <laughs> I don't know what was going on for real, but it, it was like, it was a side. I was literally not necessarily a player, but a fan cheering for my favorite team, which was UCF offense at the time, right? Like offense on the field, let's go. And like you said, once you see that offensive pass interference, you just like your heart drops like, oh my gosh. But you got a lot of playing time that, that your first year in total. Um, it, did you know? Did you feel like you got better as the season went on? Were you kind of getting more comfortable? I mean, you, you said you're kind of a freshman. You're learning a little bit on the job. Did you feel more comfortable as the season kind of went on that you were figuring this thing out, that you were kind of getting a little bit more acclimated to the college game? Well, I think I was good and terrible my freshman year. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like and when I say that, I think I had some ability and I had heart and desire and hustle. But as far as technique and actually getting the job done, and I would say as a semi-professional player, like I remember we played the Florida game, and um, the guy he just used great. I think it was Kenyatta Walker. He was like a offensive tackle. He was going to the league first round, and he blocked me 15 yards down the field, and that's the first time I didn't have a tear come out my eye. But he hurt my feelings so bad <laughs> that I was. <laughs> I was like, man, is this real? Like, this is college. He's blocking me down. And I was just like, I got to get it together. So I think Fred Harley and Mar Richardson, a couple of older guys, um, Mike Hillsman, they kind of like brought me in like, hey, yo, hey, young, you got some time, but take your time, such and such. And then Coach Huff was drilling me. He was demanding that I get better as far as my work ethic. So my main thing became where I got better by the end of the year was let me outwork everybody. I ain't, I'm not going to be the strongest out here as a freshman. I'm not going to be the quickest, but let me outwork everybody, which is 
they throw that ball, turn and run to the ball, come do this. And I was just doing a lot of extra stuff to outwork people. But it was definitely an eye opener. Like, this is real out here. This is like real. <laughs> Going into next year, 2000, there's some more big games on the schedule, right? We got Georgia Tech, we've got Alabama, we got Virginia Tech. And we just talked about how we had that missed opportunity in Georgia. So before mm-hmm. the season, is there a lot of talk? Leading into these games, hey, we gotta circle these games. We gotta win at least one of them. You guys talking about that at all, or are you just taking it week by week? Oh yeah, no, no, no. I think um, coming to that because I think the schedule was set up back then. I don't, I don't know if people understand it about UCF, but we were the school that teams paid to play, mm-hmm. right? So, and I think the AD at the time, don't remember his name, but his goal was to get UCF as much money as he could. So it would be a slaughterhouse. If we knew our chances of winning going into these teams, the top teams rank, you know, top 25 teams for the beginning of the season. Like, all right, we might start off 4-0, but we're going to get one of these teams, right? And that was our mindset going in. Like, yeah, we we the underdogs every week, but we just want to go play. We just got to go play. And um, that's how we went into my sophomore year. And coming off that spring, I had a great spring that year. And I was going to be the starter. So my goal was to get 10 sacks and be the guy. And I think that's around the same time Dunn Page came from Auburn. And he was a great DN. And we just had a ton of talent by that time. Like, our young guys that played was me, Asante Samuels. And we all kind of became leaders as sophomores. And... We knew what we had. We knew we could. We knew we could put it together and make a run for it. We didn't. We didn't think we was gonna start off four and zero necessarily. But those games against Auburn, that was even close. I don't think people understand how close that game was. No. All right. Well, let's get to the one that we actually did pull off the Alabama game. It was a crazy game. I just rewatched it about a year ago. Uh, we started off with like a tip pass, and I think uh, McKibben comes down with an interception. You know, yeah. and, and both teams go on runs. We go, we score like 14 unanswered. They score like 21 unanswered. And we come back. Just take me throughout that whole day. How wild was that game? Man, okay. Alabama by far was like one of the biggest national. Well, we played a lot of big teams, but this was a huge game because it was their homecoming. So <laughs> we was the homecoming team going into there to play. And they had a Heisman Trophy guy over there. Uh, Freddie Millens was up for the Heisman. And I think, like you said, once we got out there and closed out the crowd, we really started playing ball, man. And we really started clicking. And we knew they was going to get theirs, but by, by like, staying inside of the game. And now we started to believe. And now we got a little bit, as a whole team, we got a little bit of, we're not going to let that happen what happened to Georgia. We're not going to let this happen this game. Let's, let's, let's keep it. Let's keep it going. And I even think the coaches were forbidden. They was on the same page. Like, let's not have to let that happen. Let's keep it going. Let's keep our foot on their necks, and we're going to close this thing out. And so everybody started believing at the same time. What's your favorite play from that game? Obviously, the game-winning field goal the Borlegi hits. But there's some other classics in there. You got Davin Bush, the interception return for a touchdown. You got yeah. the, the touchdown that Henshaw catches in the end zone where his helmet pops off. Uh, yeah. There's so many big plays in that game. You have a couple favorites? Yeah, you know, those those are a couple that sticks out to me was that um that Henshaw catch that helmet off, that was epic. And then Bush, he was running so fast. Did he step out of bounds? Bush was running I, so fast. 
I rewatched it. It looked like he might have stepped out of bounds. I asked him about it. He said no. He said absolutely did not <laughs> step out of bounds. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. You know, they don't have great camera system back then, so we <laughs> <laughs> didn't really know. But he was excited, man. And I think those kind of plays kind of got everybody on the sideline, like, really pumped, really going. And we played a good defensive game, too. Like, we was out there, like – definitely holding them down. They weren't just running up and down the field on us. We was really holding it down as a defensive unit. Um we knew that they was they liked the screen game a lot. So my 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 thing was what Coach Huffers had us at the D line, we're gonna take off and we're gonna run to the ball and we're gonna make sure that we tackling people outside of the numbers, right? When they do it a lot of wide receiver screens. I remember that specifically about that game. So I don't think they understood like, yeah, y'all might be more bigger and have more depth but we're not going to give up we're just going to run all around this field and that's what we did all right the week after that's the classic letdown game right we're at louisiana tech we you go from eighty three thousand in alabama to twelve thousand at louisiana tech we actually win 20 to 16 but that game elton you had three sacks you did that twice in your career that was the first time you had a, a three sack game what is that experience like for as a defensive player is that kind of like being in the zone is that like a basketball player who just can't miss or you know, maybe a baseball uh, pitcher who's just, you know, throwing strikes. Is that like being in the zone when, when you can put a game together like that where you get multiple sacks? Yeah, I think in that Louisiana Tech game, what I remember about it, it was cold and rainy. <laughs> so it was just like, wow, what's going on here? You know, Louisiana gets kind of wet. So, But we went into that game um, with a special defense. I don't know why our coaches wanted to go through a special defense, but it allowed the DN to stand up and rush through the middle. And I think that that mixed up that they hadn't seen before that look, I think it, it was called gut blitz or something like that. And I think that mix up kind of messed them up. Chizik was our Gene Chizik was our D coordinator at the time. Yeah. So I think he wanted to mix things up and we did it and I came through a couple times on that way and then I might have had a couple pressures where I got close. So yeah, definitely I, I started looking at them in the eyes when I'm about to take off. And I see the offensive tackle looking nervous, and I'm I'm in my zone now. Once I get that, I'm in my zone. I'm going to hunt now. So that that was my thing with the three sacks. Is that something you did every game? You just stopped to see how, how the offensive uh, lineman across from you reacted, and, and you could tell whether or not you were going to have a big game based on what you saw back? Yeah, because sometimes, you know, it, they, they all come out kind of hype. But now, once I got out of my stand, and I knew they watched film, they like, Elton, he's going to take off and all this stuff. So my thing was getting off the ball really fast. So once I got down, I peek at their eyes, and if they looking nervous, so they feel like they need to make sure they don't give up a sack, I knew I had them. So that was one of my key things. I always looked at their eyes. Well, that year, another game uh, we don't talk a lot about. We uh, we wrap up at home. Uh, Virginia Tech comes to town. Michael Vick did not play. He was injured. But 50,000 people packed the Citrus Bowl, uh, which was a, a huge number for UCF back then. What do you remember about that game? Obviously, um, you know, a, a tough one from, from our standpoint. Lee Suggs ran all over the defense, unfortunately, that day with five right. touchdowns. But what do you remember about that atmosphere, right. having, having close to 50K-plus cheering you guys on in the uh, Citrus Bowl? I think um, that game solidified us of UCF what you see today like it took us over the top like fifty thousand people we got at least it's not an empty citrus bowl that's one thing about the citrus bowl we used to be empty all the time because it's so big so having fifty thousand, it was just a heck of a game to be like 
let's go play. Let's go have fun. And like I said, Lou Suggs was – you just knew he was going to the NFL, the way he ran that ball. He ran through us. But you couldn't take away the atmosphere, and we felt like something was drawing right now. You know, like, this is cool. Like, we got 50,000 people at a game from UCF, never been done before, breaking records. It was a great momentum game to go. And we kind of knew we was building a program, too. Like, we weren't naive on just saying we just did. We kind of knew we was doing things inside a UCF football program that had never been done before. So we kind of – we embraced that role. We embraced that that moment. When you wrap up your sophomore year, pretty solid season. You even said – you set a goal. You had 10 sacks that year. You had 19 tackles for loss. you got to be feeling pretty good after your freshman year thinking – hoping to make the travel team down to now being a big-time contributor on defense – but what did you want to really focus on that offseason coming into your junior year to, to put you over the top? Going into that, I'm like, okay, I'm going into my junior year, but it's almost like I'm going into my senior year because I had to solidify my position, right? Um, I, I knew I was going to work hard. And now teams are starting to come around with the NFL and you might have a junior day, different things like that. So, now it's like, okay, this is real. I'm, I probably can. I always had a childhood dream of going to the NFL. I might actually have a chance if I keep this up. So let me outdo those numbers and let me just keep going. Like, that was my whole – like, that spring was probably my most focused spring because I went hard to try to do better than what I did my sophomore year. Yeah, so we start that junior year. A couple more tough losses. The Clemson game, the Syracuse game. What <laughs> – we thought maybe we were over the hump after that Alabama. We finally got that win, but then we have a couple of these. What what was it about those games? Why couldn't we just pull those things out? That Clemson game, oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we were so close. And they had and every it seemed like every time I have a story about these teams, somebody was on the other side that was like world renowned. But uh, I think with Woodrow Dantzler was that yeah. Clemson. He was like Heisman Trophy winner, and. I think I look up and we only, it's like 20 to 22 or something like that. I don't know if that score. But I'm like, I think we can win this. And they did like a fake field goal. Yeah. Or something weird that they got. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, it was so close. I think we knew we were supposed to beat Syracuse. Right? And that one, that was kind of like, they're a good team, but we can beat them. But they had Dwight Freeney, right? Top 10 guy, he was wrecking havoc on the offensive line that year. So it was just one of those close things. I think if we had a little bit more depth as far as looking back, hindsight 2020, uh, I think we beat Clemson if we have a little bit more depth instead of just like I played 70 snaps that game with Clemson. I remember that. I was like completely dehydrated. And that was at the beginning of the season playing like 72, 73 defensive snaps, you know? That season, Elton, you had five forced fumbles that year total. That actually, you're still uh, in the record book. You're still tied with first with Greg Jefferson and Tony Hardman for a uh, number of uh, forced fumbles in a year. Was that something you guys were taught? Was that just instinct on your part to just see ball and try to go after it? How, how did you end up with five forced fumbles that season? Yeah, so we call it the tomahawk. Um, so when you go and you get through the line, you don't just hit the quarterback. Right. It's something that you practice, practice, practice. But when you come, you swipe down when you tackle at the same time. So anytime I had a chance to get to the quarterback, um, I was swiping at it, right? And that's why most of them come. So sometimes the quarterback can get the ball back 
or sometimes we would get it on my sacks. But that's what I did. Uh, that was the it was planned to say we're gonna swipe at this ball, swipe at the arm, try to get the ball out every time you get to them. Don't just get the tackle. Well, that, that that season again, Mike mentioned your your year in two thousand two thousand one. You had eight sacks, you had five forced fumbles, you had twenty TFLs. You mentioned it earlier. Was there any thought at the end of that junior year of, of you maybe trying the trying the pro route, maybe declaring for the draft? Did you have any conversations about about maybe leaving early? Yeah, um, I think that year I was actually planning on getting like fifteen or sixteen sacks, <laughs> but they started game planning for me, sure. right? So they started chipping me a lot, double teams. So I didn't quite have the junior year that I expected to have. Although it was good, I was just expecting to like really go off the charts. And my coach was like, well, we're going to come back. And I already knew I would come back. I wanted, It wasn't popular to leave early back then in the early 2000s, like unless you were just an all-world player. But, it, you know, most kids stayed in school. Um, it's reversed now. Most people come out juniors. But um, – we talked about it, maybe put my name in the draft just to um, see what the buzz was, but I, I never did it. And I was just like, let me just focus in on my senior year and enjoy this moment. Yeah, so your senior year, 2002, a lot of changes around the program. Uh, you mentioned Coach Chizik, he leaves. You got a new defensive coordinator. Does that change the way that, one, how your position is handled or defensive schemes, any effect on you that way? Think directly no right um same system same d-line coach and the coach that took over he was the linebacker coach i think it was billy diafabio yep so it was the same system however that intangible aspect of having coach chiz there i definitely think it was the big change of having coach chiz there coach chiz had us really believing you know like as a unit third down like we was a very close-knit group with Coach Chizik. Um, and it makes sense for him to go get that kind of big time job and, and go win a national championship. He was that and we he was that guy with us. We knew he was that kind of coach. So it definitely was a drop off um going into my senior year when Coach Chizik left. Yeah. Well another big change that year too is UCF finally joins a conference. So now we're in the MAC mm-hmm. after being independent all these years. But I mean we're playing teams up in the northeast every week. One, did you enjoy playing in a conference? Did you like the schedule better that way? Or, And also, what, was there a big difference playing all these cold-weather games? Did you like that, or did you not like that? Right. Um, ready for matching. I remember that. going. It was the fighting <laughs> time to go into it. I was on the poster that year. You were, yeah. Like, yep. yeah. <laughs> um, ready for matching, but um, – it was decided to be a part of something, right? You always wanted to be a part of something. So uh, going into the uh, conference, huge, everybody's excited. The whole city is excited. All of UCF is excited, right? But like you said, until we go play Miami of Ohio, <laughs> it's 14 or 42 degrees up there or whatever, right? Ben Roethlisberger at the time throwing. 70-yard bombs and stuff. And then you got to go play Buffalo in the freezing cold. Oh, it was, it was grueling. It was it was grueling to have to do it. And we and everybody, at least 70% of the team is from Florida. Never seen snow or had to play none of that. So it was definitely – I understand the sacrifice that we had to take as UCF, but I don't know if that's the best move to make us play in that kind of weather geographically because I think it took a huge toll on us. Did you think you had an advantage on those teams early in the year when they had to come down here? 
obviously they're not used to the heat, so it kind of goes both ways, right? Correct, correct. Um, a couple of teams, boys on the field, be like, man, I don't know how y'all play in this, <laughs> and we like it's seventy degrees, man. You know what I mean, like they're dying out there. But I do think, honestly, it's harder to play in cold weather because you have to fight the physical and mental, opposed to having to come and play in warm weather, where you know, it's hot, but you can cool off, you know. It, when it's cold, it's cold out there. It's tough. I think and that goes all the way through the NFL. It's just it's an advantage to be able to be used to playing in cold weather. Well, one team that was actually pretty well hyped that year in the MAC was Marshall, and we got a chance to, to, to get up there. Uh, a nice game was on ESPN, too, so it was a big game. And, and back then, they had Byron Leftwich, who, you know, was uh, – a big prospect, right? Somebody that a lot of NFL scouts working at. But from your standpoint, right, you, you want to get a chance to, to hit him, right? Like that, that's a good matchup for you. How excited were you to get a chance to play somebody like a Leftwich in your senior year on TV like that to kind of show who you were? Oh, man. I was like, I got to get to him. He's going to be throwing his ball. Everyone talked about how great he is. He was all over the news at the time. So, and then, like you said, a, a national televised game. So we were definitely pumped, man. I was excited. Um, he was just throwing that ball so quick. Like, my goodness, he was getting that ball out quick. He was great. Yeah, he was one of the better quarterbacks I ever played against as far as just throwing the ball. And he was getting it out so timely that it was hard to get to him. But it was definitely an exciting game, a fun game. Do you guys, did you think that was the start of a, of a fun rivalry or, or to Mike's question earlier, were you kind of like, man, Marshall's in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia. This isn't going to be, uh, this isn't going to be a thing for us. I thought it did. I thought it brought something new, right? Because we hadn't had too much anything established before that, as far as rivalry. And, you know, we were just showing up and playing people, but that was like a comparable team for us. That was like, okay, something new. Like I can see us, like we can get them that time. And it was like the pedestal, like, uh, you know, not necessarily going in and being a top, being a huge underdog, but these teams then, and I think we can beat them. So yeah, I think that began something great. All right, not to always harp on the negative, but that year you guys had another a tough loss, uh, lose a close one in the opener to Penn State. Mike kind of went through some of these already, right? I mean, Georgia, Clemson, Penn State, Auburn. Is there one of those losses that still kind of eats at you to this day that you still wake up in the middle of the night like, man, we should have won that one? Is there one that sticks with you? Yeah. Oh, man, that, that senior year Penn State was tough because that was my year, right? Like, Coming out here, 12 o'clock ESPN game, and I still trying to figure out how we lost that one, man. And that was an epic moment because, you know, Joe Paterno over there on the sideline, and it was just like, ah, oh, we could have won that game. Um, but be honest with you, the Alabama win oversees all of those losses. That one Alabama win, I think, was just the pedestal of, like, talked about for a long time, man. And we weren't expecting to win any of those other games. That win oversees all the other losses. The overall, the season not bad. I mean, we went seven and five, six and two in the conference, but we get left out of a bowl game. And at this point, we still had not ever played in a bowl game. So, were you guys pissed off when you found out about that, or what was the reaction at the end of the year? I would say hurt. Like, what else do we need to do? Like, because I think the four teams we lost to was all big time schools, right? So, yeah. well, most of them. I mean, and Marshall. Lost. Yeah, Marshall. But it's like, oh, they didn't pick us in there. And I just thought, like, that would have been great for me to play the one bowl game. Because I had I had this thing in my career. People laugh about it. But I have a personal record. 
that I never played in any postseason game in my whole entire career. All the way back to high school. Never played in no playoff after the season game. <laughs> <laughs> Including the NFL. So I think that year was like my closest year and they just didn't choose us. So it was like, screw it. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so but sum up your career. You had a very solid four years there. What are your biggest memories? What, what do you miss the most about being out there playing for UCF? My biggest memory at UCF was just the camaraderie of the close friends. Like I still talk to all my guys that went to UCF at the time from Asante Samuels. We were roommates. We still close. I'm going to talk every other day. Brandon Marshalls and the Travis Fisher, we talk almost every other day. So the the network of guys, I don't I think it's hard for teams to get um closeness within the players like that nowadays. And I really miss that aspect of being there with my teammates and stuff. Um also I think we knew we was building something big back then, but to look back to see where UCF has come from and we was part of that foundational process. It makes me proud, man. I love coming back. I love seeing my name up there as far as the player that made it out. And I just love to see – I just – I'm on forever UCF night and there's nowhere it came from to be a part of that building process. I, I really appreciate it. I, I love it. Well, take us to, to what happens next. Obviously, you mentioned off the top, you're a kid. You, you grow up dreaming about playing football, and then uh, and then your name gets called in the NFL draft. What's that experience like when, when you get that phone call uh, that you're, you're going to go play in the NFL? That, that's got to be just a uh, such an emotional moment for somebody who's worked for their entire life to get to that point. Man, um, it was not just emotional, nerve-wracking. My gosh, it was, I've never been that nerve wreck before in my life. I think I was like second to the last pick or something in the draft. And I just, uh, I felt like I was always the underdog guy. Like coming from high school, I felt like um, I didn't get the scholarship offers I deserved, right? Then once I got to UCF and breaking all these records and having phenomenal seasons, I wasn't getting the notoriety I deserved. So that was the first moment I felt like, wow, like, Yes, and it was a blessing to get my name called. I didn't care if it was going to be the last pick. But to me, for me getting drafted, and I didn't get invited to the combine, which means you got a less than 1% chance of getting drafted, right? But for me to do that and not get invited to the combine and still get drafted out of UCF, a so-called small school, it was a huge accomplishment for me. Well, you're still involved with the game now. Tell people what you're, what you're doing now. I know you're still uh, active and, and helping a bunch of young guys out. What are you, uh, what are you working on now? Um, I'm actually the sports agent now. I got certified. I came back to UCF and got my master's degree back in 2010, 11. And um, I became certified with the NFLPA. And um, true story, funny story, the George O'Leary story. <laughs> I'm there on campus, and he's like, hey, Patterson, what are you doing? And I was like, Coach, uh, yeah, I'm over here in the uh, athletics, um, development athletics. I want to go back to school. And I'm working on getting my master's. Well, you need to be a GA. I need you here as a coach. And I was like, I don't want a coach. You don't want to be over there in that office. It's just funny, right? <laughs> so, either way, I was like, yeah, coach, I don't want a coach. I appreciate it. So I turned my coach because I knew the uh, the the commitment to coaching you have, like time and everything. And I didn't want to be that involved with football. I'd rather be on the backhand side of football. So he was either going to be an athletic director, right? That was one of my goals, to be an athletic director. I was like, I'm going to be an athletic director at UCF one day. 
or be an agent. And I was simultaneously trying to look into both. Um, in 2011, and I passed my agent test, which was very hard. I hadn't passed it, so I was like, we're just going to go with this because it'll give me a time, flexibility, and then let me do the things I love, which is help younger guys and help mold careers, and, you know, I just love it. Well, you, you've still got, you've got, some, you got some UCF clients, right? You've had some guys who've uh, come out of UCF that have signed with you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a wonderful thing there. I had Jeremy Boykins, right? Um, he did really good. He <laughs> Jeremy, he's a heck of a player, man. Not not a lot of people knew about him, but he was a great athlete. And then I had Jordan Frank. Jordan came through. He was always a good player. He didn't have a ton of um, pub coming out, but we got him in there. And so yeah, I had a couple UCF guys. I need to get more. I need to just I need to be the guy for UCF. That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, we gotta set that up. Right, let's go. <laughs> Right, yeah, Elton Patterson. Look, hey, you need to call Elton Patterson when you're coming out. That's, he's going to take care of you. But no, that's my thing, man. I just wanted to take care of the guys, be honest and upfront. It's a, it's a, it's a rough world out there. So to have somebody you can trust and um, help, not just be an agent, but help mold and walk along with you on your journey to the NFL, somebody who's been there, right, um, that was my premise of it. And that's what I still want to offer to those guys. What do you think about all this college football nowadays with the NIL and guys getting paid while they're playing? Completely different world from when you got we were there, right? No, hundred percent different, man. Um, uh, my my thing is this: I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it short, but I think it was overdue for players to get paid. No doubt about it. It's my opinion, but not necessarily on NIL. I wish the NCAA would have kind of just I don't know put on minimum wage or something to try to keep control of it. But I definitely think those guys, when you're out there risking your life, I remember when I came out my senior year, they had number 97 jersey in the in the um, student union selling in the bookstore, and I'm I had to buy it. Like it's, I know this jersey, <laughs> I can put my name on it. This don't make sense, right? So I think it's definitely deserving. I wish it was just a little bit more control over it. And this one thing I told we, I had a sports and ethics class in my in my um, master's, master's in 2011. And we had a debate about it. And most people saying college players can get paid, but I said yes, but put it um, in a 401k. So every year that they letter, just give them $10,000 to put in 401k for later on in life. And the professor at that time, like, oh, that's a great idea. And I probably should have um, proposed it to the NCAA before all the NIL came out. But I just think it was something that should have been done. Um, but it is what it is now. Wild, wild west now. Yeah, it's because the schools didn't want to give up any of their own money. And now they got right. other people paying the kids, and they found a way around it. But it's crazy Correct. times now. Correct. But, um, Correct. You, you follow UCF very closely still, right? You still go to a couple games? or you still Yeah, I didn't, make it, I didn't make it last year. Um, but, no, I definitely like get a couple games. I call up some of the boys and be like, hey, let's go to this game, this date. And they're like, all right, cool, we'll meet there. So, um as long as they invite me, they like to have me around. I I love coming around, man. <laughs> my thing, man. Were you at the Peach Bowl when we uh, beat Auburn? Were you at that? I know a lot of guys came back for that one. Yes, I was right there. Fish Travis Fisher was coaching then. Yeah. Uh, like I said, he's a close friend of mine. He was under the Frost thing, and that was yeah. an epic moment right there. And I just love being around there. And I I came to a lot of games that year, actually, quite a few. And, and how do you feel about the whole new regime that the Malzahn? era has started like where the team's heading right now 
Yeah, I do, honestly. I think um, it's a lot of promise. Um, I, you know how it's going steps. So we came from a low-end school, right? And we kind of went to the next level by the time I left. And then, like, O'Leary came in and they took it to the next level. And, you know, now I think this is going to, like, the next, next level and where we at. That's the transition we're going, like, top 10 type team down. And I'm, I'm excited about it. What what year was it when you? I mean, I, I assume as you kind of came out in the league and you were, you were a professional, and people asked you where you went to school, you said UCF, right? I'm sure the first couple of years people were like, "What? What's UCF? Where's where that at?" What year was it when people stopped asking you that question? When you were like, "Oh, I went to UCF," and they're like, "Oh, cool, I know where that is." Like, do you, do you remember what year that was when it finally, like, you think register with everybody? I think they started getting a little bit, and I think it was so weird. It, it's like it was University of Central Florida, so I think the school had the officially make a media announcement that we're going by UCF. <laughs> right, right. So then that was like 07, right? 06, 07, right? And then they start getting this, oh, you went to that school, USF. And I'm like, no, UCF, <laughs> not no USF. But to anybody outside of Florida, it was like, I don't know, because they kind of started coming up a little bit. But I would say all together, the whole UCF brand really started coming together around, like when Blake Bortles, them started coming in, mm. Kevin. Kevin did great for the school at running back. Like he was, he I think he really made some great strides for the school, and people started notarizing like UCL terms. All right, well, you've been uh, very generous with your time, but we uh, we end every interview around here with some fun questions, kind of some getting to know you questions. Could be about music, movies, sports. Could be anything under the mm-hmm. sun. So, are you ready to, to face these hard hitting, tough questions? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right, Elton. So, if you and I were going to go out and we were going to split a pizza. What are you going to put on your half of the pizza? Um, basic pepperoni. That's it? If I'm in my if I'm in my healthy mode, I'm going to do um, olives and cheese. With the pepperoni? No, I'm, I'm, that's just the healthy. I'm going okay. to do my healthy. I'm going to feel good. Like, <laughs> olives and cheese, okay. <laughs> if, if we get a large, right, you get uh, you get six slices, I get six slices. How many of those are you putting down these days? I'm not a huge heavy eater, so I would probably go like two or three. After three, I'm gonna feel like I'm doing. Oh wow! Okay, it needs a box. Okay, all right. I didn't have that. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. We were on. We went to school at the same time as you. We were there '98 to 2002. So we didn't, we know all the famous hangout spots. What was your favorite place when you guys were just chilling out after uh, you know not even during the season when you guys had to go out at nighttime? Where were you guys going? Okay. Uh, Headlights. Oh, headlights. Yes. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> the headlights was the spot. That's where we was going. Me and the crew, we're going to ride down Alifaya Trail, and we're going to hit up headlights. Then nightlights. I think it was nightlights, right? I don't know if it was like a spot called nightlights back in the day. We didn't go out. We didn't go out downtown too much. So I think headlights was our spot. Yeah, headlights was the main one. I remember. I think it was Wednesday nights was the big night there. Correct. Correct. Right. <laughs> All right. I'll, here's a humble brag moment for you. You are still UCF's career leader in tackles for loss, which includes sacks. Do you know how many you have? What's What's the leading number? What is your number of tackles for loss in your UCF career? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's, 53. Ooh. 59 and a half. You are number one, 59 and a half. 
Bruce Miller right behind you at 57 and a half. So you, uh, you have a comfortable lead. Nobody, at least in the current realm, anywhere close to you. You may hold this one for a while. Wow. Okay, cool. I was, I was shooting for it. I think I was up there with the facts for a while, but I didn't even realize the whole pack. Why, why, why aren't I in the hall of fame? You see, that's a great question. Okay. That's a great question. That is a great, you are third in sacks, Bruce Miller, 35 and a half. Um, Daryl Rudd, 31 and a half. You have, uh, you have 30 and a half. So you are, uh, you are right there, uh, in the top five. And they stole, they stole one from me at Penn state because I sat that guy and they told me he was a half inch behind. So it was like 10 and a half. I'm like, that's a fact. It's behind the line of scrimmage. They didn't give it to me though, but. That's a whole nother well, story. In my official record book, I'm going to change it right now. 31 and a half sacks for Elton Patterson. Done deal. Right. We're Double starting the campaign. I'm doing it right now. EP for the Hall of Fame. Start it now. Right, right. Why not? Jeez. Yeah, wow, that's I actually didn't, I guess I didn't realize that. You're not in the Hall of Fame? Wow. No, never got a call or anything. I, I mean, I won the defensive player of the year that year, my senior year, I think, with the team. I just don't know what I would need to do. <laughs> Man, we, and you got a master's degree. I mean, you graduated. I mean, yeah, you, you meet all the criteria. I'll, I'll, we'll make a phone call. We'll make a phone call. No one's going <laughs> to answer. No one's going to answer that call, by the way, but I'll make one for you. We can get a hashtag going. <laughs> <laughs> Done. All right, you mentioned how you didn't like when people confused us with USF, but you guys never played USF the years you were there. Have you developed a hate for those, that school like we have just as a fan? Yeah, like it was, it was, it was kind of hype, right? It was kind of hype for a while, but now it's like beneath us. We're like, uh, who is USF now? Like, uh, they, they're not even close no more. They came on strong for a while. I think Mike Hughes when he did that kickback, oh, yeah. right? He, he buried him. <laughs> that was the dagger for USF, right <laughs> yeah. there. It was it. it was like we're not even gonna be a y'all rivalry no more. That was it. <laughs> that was a huge game, man. That was exciting. I was there that night. Yeah, that was crazy. All right, Elton, I've seen pictures of you currently. You're a, a big, strong, good-looking man. So let's let's imagine for a moment you're going to star in a movie, kind of like a lethal weapon situation, right? It's going to be a buddy cop movie. You're you're the you're the main cop, right? And you can pick one of your former key teammates to be your co-star of the movie, your your buddy cop partner. Which of your former teammates you want starred in the movie next to you, and uh, in, uh, in this buddy cop picture? Who, who are you going to pick? And it's a, it's more built off of funny or serious. Well, you tell me. I mean, what do you do? You want do you want a comedy? Do you want a drama? I mean, what kind of what kind of actor do you want here? Okay, I, I would go funny if I'm gonna do funny, man. The kid I'm gonna say is Travis Fisher. That guy is funny, man. Like I always felt like he's in character all the time, and I think that's why he's a great coach right now in Nebraska because he's so relatable. Like he's gonna have you laughing, like even if it's. He's just at the store. He's going to do something funny, and he would be the comedic part. I'd probably be the guy that's all serious, and he would be the comedic part that would balance the whole movie out. Well, like, I don't know what's going on with Will Smith these days. Maybe you guys can take over the Bad Boys franchise. <laughs> Maybe you and Travis Fisher, you could just do the new buddy cop. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll start that hashtag. I'll start that hashtag, too. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, did you ever have any classes with Torchy? With who? Torchy, no, Torchy Clark. Oh, no. I didn't. I never had a class. I heard about it all the time. All the football players talked about it, but I never had a class with him. Oh, man. I was going to ask you about that guy because he was, he was something, man. Um, uh, I've heard. <laughs> all right. So let's switch it up. Are you an NBA fan? Are you a fan of any of the teams still playing? I'm only a fan of NBA. I only watch the NBA during playoffs. 
So I don't have like a favorite team I'm rooting for. Um, I'm an underdog guy. So who's ever the underdog, I kind of root for him. Like, I'm rooting for Dallas Mavericks right now. It's not looking good. That's <laughs> not looking good. No. <laughs> Luca. Just rooting for game sevens in every series. <laughs> right. All right, what's what's one hidden talent that you have that many people wouldn't suspect that you have? Do you maybe you're a good artist, you're a singer, is there a talent you have you don't think people would expect you to have? That's a good question. Uh oh, I I'm actually a writer. Like I wrote a book, like I can write like that's just something that's God given. I can write stories, paragraphs. I enjoy it. Like that's one thing that's a hidden talent, like with word choice and all that stuff, I would, that's that's one thing I would say that I can do fairly good. Wait, you wrote a, a whole book? What's what's the name of the book? Ambition equals success. Wow, on Amazon. That's awesome. <laughs> Man, I'm gonna start a hashtag. <laughs> wow. <laughs> can you juggle too? I'm is there anything? Author. Is there anything you can't do, Elton? Jeez. <laughs> yes, I'm an author, man. Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Um, to be invisible. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know why. I, I'm, I'm not really. I'm open. I'm not really a people's person. But if I can just be invisible and go through the world, I'd be great. <laughs> would you use that power for good, or would you use that power to like, <laughs> me- mess with some of your teammates, <laughs> like to flip their bed upside down, or are you going to win the lottery? What are you going to do with that power? You remember that movie Ghost? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be messing with people, messing with them, having kids <laughs> running down the street or something. <laughs> well, look, we appreciate you taking so much time out of your schedule and uh, and going down memory lane with us. Obviously, you, you mentioned it. Uh, you were one of the, the legendary players at UCF. We got to get you in the Hall of Fame somehow because that's a, that's a travesty. But we appreciate you taking some time to hop on with us, man. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up with you soon. Maybe we'd see you at a game this year or something like that. But uh, we definitely appreciate you taking the time. Okay, anytime, man. I, I really enjoy it, man. Love talking about UCF. Okay, sons of UCF, both of you, you are the father. All right, hopefully everybody enjoyed Elton Patterson. Again, we got to get that hashtag, EP to the Hall of Fame. I don't, I don't know who we got to call, Mike. I mean, they're not going to answer our call if we do call. Um, but what would you rather see Elton Patterson in the hall of fame or, uh, Elton Patterson and Travis Fisher and bad boys Four? <laughs> it's gotta be that, okay, you know? fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we don't have to make any calls because as we know, people at UCF are listening to every word we say here, you know, they may steal our ideas about QR codes. Mm. They, you know, there's other things that go on that, you know, we've heard it here first and all of a sudden you're seeing it being enacted there. So that's it. Having that interview, I think, was enough. And now people that listen to it, and they're going to go back into the record books and say, you know what, we need to look at this. Elton is a, he was a great player for us. He's a great representative of the school. You know, he's got, he, he has all the qualifications. He graduated. He's done all that stuff. So I think soon you will be seeing Elton Patterson in the Hall of Fame. And starring soon. And, then, in and when he does, when he does get in. I mean, you've got to thank us. Personally. We've, I've, if we're not in that first, uh, that first line of the speech, you know, go to the family <laughs> first. I, I understand that. Maybe hit a teammate or two. We should be in that teammate section. You know what I mean? 
We should be right there after I mean, the family. Yeah, I want to thank Asante Samuel, great teammate. You know, and then my, my guys, Adam and Mike, sons. You see, I mean, we should be right in that tier. I would think. We should be able to introduce them. I think, right? Do you do that? Ooh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if it's an NFL thing where there's a bust and we're up there talking. I, I don't even know. I don't think it is. I think it's just that yeah. they do a video with Mark Daniels going over the guy's career, and then all of a sudden he's up there. Yeah, I feel like if yeah. if Elton was like, "Hey, I want to have these guys," ah, oh, we stopped doing that. Sorry, this year, just brand new. <laughs> we stopped. Yeah, sorry about all that. And you and I will just be in the back of the salon. Well, we're definitely hotel. getting mentioned. Yeah, we got to get a mention. We at least get invited, right? Like at least invites us to the ceremony. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, actually. Yeah. All right. A couple tickets. Our expectations and, are lower. And the room at the salon. Okay. Well, not we two rooms. I don't want. To, I don't want to hang out with you. Um, we'll have to figure that out. But uh, but check check out Elton Patterson again. Uh, all fame numbers. I, I, was, I was shocked to, to learn he wasn't in there, Mike. Um, Cow of the week this week. We're going to collaborate on Cow of the week because this was just this overtook the uh, the internet's for a couple of days. And there's just so much about this that are funny, and so much about this that is stupid that it just it, it requires its own whole segment here, right? Nick Saban was uh, doing some sort of a press situation, I don't even know, and decided that, and I don't even know the question, but basically said, and in, in, in as part of his answer, that Texas A&M bought all of their players and that he at Alabama did not buy their players. Jimbo then holds his own press conference, Jimbo Fisher, and decides to basically blowtorch Nick Saban and say, he's not what you think he is, and ask anybody what this guy's about, and you know, and, and you know, if you think he's clean, you know, I, got, I got all the stuff on there. Then Nick came back basically and said, hey, I'm not going to say anything about that. Nick also threw a stray at Deion Sanders, uh, who also came back and said that Nick Saban is, you know, is basically a crazy person, Mike. So Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher, we got beef, Mike. That's uh, that's where we are. Two like sixty-year-old men arguing over who pays more for college kids. Yeah, I think it all starts with Saban. He's probably cow number one in this situation. Calling out another school for buying their players when you're the coach at Alabama for the last twenty years. I mean, give me a break, Nick. Like, we're, we're not all idiots here. We know what's going on behind these doors before this was even legal. So um, you're definitely a cow for calling that out, and now you're getting what you deserve with all the backlash. Um, Jimbo, <laughs> Jimbo is funny, I think. He said he's not taking his phone calls. He wants nothing to do with them. Who, who wins in a fight, Jimbo or, or Nick Saban? Jimbo's younger, so. Yeah. Hey, Nick is uh, Nick is feisty. Scrappy. Um, my, my first reaction when I saw that Jimbo press conference was he he did something wrong because he was like he went to that whole uh, mode of like you know it's it's almost like the Lance Armstrong defense like you come out so angry and so mad that it was like oh he did something wrong like he's clearly he, there's something he, what, I wonder what he did he must have done something really bad because he came all out like I did none of this thing and my daddy would slap me in the face and oh by the way Nick Saban like he went <laughs> he went from like I wouldn't do this to like look over here like he had all the signs of somebody who's done something wrong and was trying to get you not to notice it that was my first reaction when I saw Jimbo out there that angry Raphael Palmero <laughs> yes absolutely he, he wagged a finger <laughs> He went all Lance Armstrong suing everybody. Like, he, he, he did something. I don't know what it was, but he did something. Yeah, this is when it's going to come back in a couple of weeks and you find out the truth about Jimbo Fisher. He's going to have to resign and all that. And it's because he came out so strong against Saban. Saban's not going to sit on this. He's going to have his guys working behind the scenes, find out exactly how Texas A&M has cheated, and that's going to get exposed. And these two guys are just going to take each other down. And then once that happens, then Jimbo reveals all the secrets about Nick Saban. And you know, is Jimbo Jose Canseco? 
<laughs> yeah, somebody's going to be. Okay. And why, if it costs Jimbo his job or something like that comes out and it shows that he's cheating, he's going to come out and out everybody. And I'm here for it. <laughs> it'll be hilarious. Hopefully nothing against Malzana. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, let's break, break it down a notch. Break it down a notch. <laughs> I like Gus is staying quiet on this. No, he did not. Yeah. He actually had a tweet out like later that day and said, I was busy today. What did I miss? <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> that was... not actually him uh, tweeting, though, right? That's just the guy who's in charge of his account. I would, I would doubt it. I don't know if Gus has like He feels like he's the kind of guy who doesn't want to get involved in that sort of stuff. Uh, so I, I don't even really, really know. Mike. But the argument, which I find interesting, and maybe you can help me understand this. I think the legit argument was really a semantic argument in that what Nick was saying was Texas A&M was buying players. And Jimbo took offense because that would insinuate that Jimbo is personally authorizing them to be bought. But that's not really what's happening. Texas A&M has one of those collective deals where they offer deals to the players. Obviously, the coaches and the university can't be involved in that. So in theory... Jimbo and, and Nick are both right. The kids can get deals from the Texas A&M Collective, and Jimbo cannot pay the kids. They can both technically be right. That's what makes me think Jimbo did something really wrong because he came out so angry as opposed to being like, let me just educate you guys on how this all works. Here's the question I don't understand, Mike. Maybe you can help me with this, right? So let's say I, I have my own collective, right? I have the Adam Collective, okay. and uh, and you are the head football coach of, of UCF, right? And uh, I decide that I'm going to give, you know, uh, a collective deal to Trace Troco to come play for UCF. How do I know that you want Trace on your team? How does like how does how does the collective know who to give the money to if there's no conversation there? How does that work? Is it is it just, hey, they offered this kid, let's pay him? Like, how, how does that all work? Someone has to explain that to me. I don't understand. it. They go to Rivals.com and see who <laughs> the highest ranked recruits are in every position. Um, yeah, I mean, come on, let's be honest. We all know exactly what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah, the coaches are communicating to these guys. These are the players we want. Now we can't give them the money directly. You go pay them, and and they're in enough at the schools. So this is nothing new. It's now all out in the open, and I, I can't wait to see somebody get caught breaking the rules. And hopefully, it's like Miami because they're the ones that have been most open about it. Pay, paying people all this money, I want to see them get screwed and uh, have to shut the program down. Yeah, it'll be somebody. I mean, the NCAA obviously put those rules out, and they're going to try to find a way to enforce all this stuff and crack down on it. But, I mean, good luck with all that. But, yeah, this whole thing was just hysterical because both of them have done something wrong. Both of them know that one has done something wrong. But Jimbo, like, I'm here for Jimbo's dirt. If he wants to start spilling spilling the tea, I'm I'm here for it. I I can't wait for that next presser when he pulls out, like, an Al Davis dossier of all the things Nick Saban's done wrong. I'm here for it. I'm, I'm all kinds of ready for that. Yeah, there's going to be a book in a couple of years. Once one of these guys retires, and you're going to hear all the secrets come out. Well, I mean, the secrets are basically they, they were, they're paying people, right? Which is, again, it's, it's really – the other thing is Nick said that he wishes there was parity back in college football. I mean, are you serious? Nick Saban is asking for parity in college football? I mean, literally, he's been like the only program in, uh, in any sort of uh, playoff conversation since the thing started, and, he, and now he wants parity. Some of these guys, I don't think they they think before they say these things, or they're saying what they think people want to hear, and it, they don't realize how silly they sound when they say things like that. Actually, honestly, I think Nick's whole goal was to talk to basically that was his way of talking to the NILs of Alabama to be like, y'all better give me some more money because Texas A and M's paying everybody, Dion's paying a kid a million dollars, so that that wasn't. I don't think that had anything to do with Jimbo or Dion. It had everything to do with I need more money for the Alabama you know NIL people, so. 
whoever's out there in Tuscaloosa, we know with the checkbooks, Nick's like, hey, you need to open that thing up a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably what, he's, what he was doing. Um, how much money is there in Tuscaloosa? I mean, I know there's no professional football team in Alabama, so everybody cares about the Crimson Tide. That's their team, but could they have more money, like corporate sponsor money, than a city like Orlando? Like, we should be dominating in these things. When it comes to this, big-time cities with, with a big pocketbook should be really cashing in. Uh, we need to start paying people, man. Uh, we, we need a big donor. We need somebody with a lot of money that wants to just pay people. What about that $50 million that we got from uh, Bezos' wife? Can we just put that all towards the football program? <laughs> well, buy, uh, buy a nice football team for a couple of years? Yeah, sure. I don't, I don't know how that allocates, but I, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah, let's sign the checks. Let's get a stadium sponsor yeah. first. <laughs> Tell me about it. I mean, that, that should be a few million in our pockets right there. We can't get anybody lined up for that, so. Uh, I don't know, man. That's what drives me nuts. Now. How are people from Tuscaloosa, you know, paying so much money? I don't get it. Yeah, uh, well, I'm, you know, car dealer. Who knows? I mean, that's a, a, who knows where this money. And and you also assume that the, the, that's like Alabama schools like that. I mean, they have donors from people who never even went to Alabama, right? Just because they like the football team and they're from Alabama, and you know, their their kid went there. Like, you know, I think that's the that's the other element that, that is in the you know, kind of at play here is it's, you know, these people probably don't all live in Tuscaloosa, but they have, uh, you know, they have ties quote unquote to the program. I don't know. Like they got people trying to kill yeah. trees for him. I mean, for crying out loud. I guess they did kill trees. <laughs> I don't even really know. Yeah. But that guy, the guy that the tree killer guy, he's not a millionaire, right? I, he, I think he's in jail. No, I think he's broken in jail now. I think Harvey yeah. Updike. I mean, the majority of Alabama fans have, you know, I don't know. We don't have a full set of teeth. You're telling me they have a full bank account? I'm not telling you. Eat. I'm not telling you have a full anything. <laughs> That's what, uh, full tank of gas. I have no idea what they have, where, what it is, and how empty it is. I have no idea. Yeah. So uh, that money's coming from somewhere. Uh, I don't know where, but we need to figure it out. Yeah, we, we need to start paying our guys. There you go. Sons nil deal worked out here soon, Mike. But what we do need to do is uh, remind you all that on Thursday live show this week. A lot of moving parts. We don't know when baseball is playing. We don't know what's going on with softball, all that stuff. So a lot of moving parts. Uh, Thursday, 8 p.m. We're still playing on the live show, so tune in for that. Again, if you want to follow us on social media, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel at, at uh, Sons of UCF, twonightsmedia.com. You can do that for us as well. It would be uh, it would be much appreciated. Until uh, until next week, Mike, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up. Uh, everybody have a fantastic week. Uh, we appreciate you for listening. Hope you enjoy the interviews. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Everybody go nights. Charge on. Sports Social Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 